everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Context of White Supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully, to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Monday, December 16, 2019. So I have been told we can get that response during the broadcast, how he responded when good old Bob said nigger. They didn't even uh, promote that anecdote correctly. He didn't just say nigger. He called Wilt Chamberlain a nigger. (laughs) It was not just any old random black person. Anywho, uh, we're going to have almost like two introductions for the program today. I wanted to make sure that we are all properly uh, rooted. Uh, That's a term that's used in the book we'll be discussing on the program today. I am using it with a different definition, a different meaning rooted in a sense of providing context for our dialogue today, exchanging views on the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, The audio segment that you heard at the top that was uh, on NPR within the last 30 days, they talked to a lot of authors, new books, reading, more important than watching television. We say that often. And I was intrigued uh, to hear a black male uh, saying that, hey, I'm going to you know, rethink some of my views on racism as a result of the 2016 presidential election. I'm going to go out, interview some white people, talk to them, listen to them, see what I can learn. Maybe I can get a different perspective to help me get a better understanding on why this happened. Spectacular. And I advocate that sort of thinking uh, and doing all the time. Question white people, study them, try to learn so we can figure out what it means to be classified as white, what racism, white supremacy is how it works. But I was intrigued because they said he went to interview these white guys. And I just, I had so many questions 
so many questions. <laughs> but that was that was my initial poll. Them saying that all of this was a response to President Trump uh, and going in with this book, what it is, which we will talk about today. But grounding for this program, I think it is very important. Definitions, super important. Start every program talking about definition for racism. That can be an important aspect of grounding when talking about racism, white supremacy. Another aspect of, of grounding rootedness, especially when talking about the 2016 election, I think for this dialogue, super important uh, in our guests for this evening's program and many others seemed surprised. They were not expecting Donald J. Trump to succeed President Obama. At minimum, you can use different words or what have you, but that is it seemed like they did not start the 2016 calendar year thinking that at the conclusion, President Trump would be at the White House taking over, preparing to take over from President Obama. On this year program, that is not the case. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, 31 time guest on this program and a Washington, D.C. native. Uh, she did think Donald Trump was going to be president. And to make sure that we put that in proper context for the counter attempted counter racist scientist uh, that Dr. Welsing was. This wasn't a rant or something loony. This was not black girl magic. This was a scholar who devoted decades to the scientific study of white supremacy racism. Again, Dr. Welsing, a third generation physician, general and child psychiatrist, author of the ISIS papers, Keys to the Color, Keys to the Colors. As I said, she was a 31 time guest on this program before her passing in 2016. I guess that's important, too, for people who aren't familiar with Dr. Welsing. She did pass away. January of 2016, right at the beginning of the year. But before she passed away. She predicted who was going to be the next president. We'll walk this back. So this audio clip is from 2013, six years ago. Dr. Welsing and I were talking really almost seven years. This is at the very beginning of 2013. This was right after Christopher Dorner, black male, reported shooter in California, had went on this murder spree against enforcement officers. And this was directly after President Obama had been reelected and this was at the same time that Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained was released. Dr. Welsing put all of these things in context and gave a foreshadow to the 2016 election. This is context for our discussion today. 2013, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. See, it's like black people need to, you know, the most important thing I think that could be said is black people need to calm down mm. and they need to uh, be talked to very calmly and slowly about what racism and white supremacy is and how it works. And that jumping off the deep end and not really understand how they can be motivated into, I mean, it's just like you line up your laws so that you have every law in place to incarcerate black people. And then you put the drugs and the, the unemployment, the drugs and the guns out there. And it's just a bear trap mm. that has 
been set up in order to do just that. So black people need to be encouraged to calm down completely. I mean, they're reacting without, uh, you know, first of all, having all the information. The information is that he's out there killing other black people. That's what is known, according to what you're saying. Oh, yes, ma'am. They have videos. This is another black person killing black people out of their frustration and despair about what the system of white supremacy is doing to them. And all of it is incorrect behavior. Hmm. I see reports where they're calling him uh, Django. They had like a nickname. Uh, they called, I think one, it said uh, Christopher Django Dorner. Uh, and it was, I've seen several. I mean, there's black people using it. See, that, see that, even that was Tarantino. I mean, it's like black people don't even have any clues about who sets up movie scenarios and what is discussed in the back rooms and why. I mean, it's no accident in my view that that movie came out at the time that, you know, the president was reelected. And so it's really setting the tone. So you show a black person and act like, oh, this is a big deal. He's killing white people. Meaning they're just, you know, you're going to have Hitler elected in the next election. Mm. Mm. That was February 2013. Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, you heard what she said about the election, putting all of that in context. Christopher Dorner, President Barack Obama, he had just won re-election. Now, 2015, fast forward two years. Uh, President Trump, or he wasn't president, excuse me, he was just a regular old citizen guy. Donald Trump says he's going to run for office. Before I play the audio clip, again, this is before... The election, he hadn't secured the Republican nomination. We hadn't even got to the 2016 calendar year when Dr. Welsing made this the main thesis of her talks on white supremacy racism that Donald Trump is going to win based on her understanding of white supremacy racism. I'm going to give you a snippet from the book we're reading tonight. Again, this is context so that we understand the dialogue we're having this evening from what it is. Page 50. That was the state of my thinking on the evening of Tuesday, November 8, 2016, as Amy, his wife, and I sat in our living room with good friends who lived two blocks away with the TV turned to the election returns and champagne chilling in the refrigerator, champagne that, as it turned out, we would not drink for months, ready to toast the election of the first female president of the United States. After a while, our friends departed too. <laughs> our friends departed too depressed to continue watching. Louis was away at college in a Midwestern town where she cast her first ever vote expecting to be a part of history, but the Pi, a college graduate, was in New York staying with Amy and me while she looked for an apartment, and shortly after our friends left, she came home and sat with us on the sofa to watch the returns. As things went from unsettling to grim, my older daughter quietly cried. I didn't know what to say to her. We were watching as a man who bragged about fondling women he had never met 
who had received but not rejected the endorsement of the Ku Klux Klan, was elected president. He was the choice of the majority of whites, those people I refused to hate in America, that land I called my home. I give this contrast because I too remember where I was the night of the election. We were on the air. We were not surprised. We were not stunned. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing had said this was going to happen. Even after taking some time to mourn her passing and to look at what unfolded in the primaries, still waiting. I remember I, I myself waited till I think about April before I said, oh, no, he is going to win. Dr. Welsing, the scholar, brilliant. She was correct. He is going to win the election. I remember I started calling him president elect in October on social media. People got very uppity and angry with me. And I'm saying uppity for a reason. They got very, it's, uh, you could go back and look at the feed at me saying, I was trying to get, you know, accustomed so it would roll off the tongue, as they say, when November came. All a matter of archive. We just uh, gave credit to Dr. Welsing for her prediction election night. We just had the audio queued up. So when they said Donald Trump won, we played. See, every single thing that we are concerned about every single thing when you turn on the TV tomorrow morning that they will talk about will all be related to racism, white supremacy as a system. Okay, Donald Trump. (laughs) I say meet your next president. See, all kind of people from the time he started talking. Oh, he's crazy. Oh, he's this. Oh, he won't. All the American people won't accept something. Donald Trump has pulled the hood off of, the sheet off of, the cover off of the system of racism, white supremacy. See, he pulled it off, and he's talking with more clarity than anybody else who all the other candidates quietly, quietly are thinking about racism, but they're not talking overtly about it. But Donald Trump is talking. So like I said, Donald Trump's Trump card is the race card in the system of racism, white supremacy. The New York Times article, I mean editorial today, the Trump effect. See, this is what I'm doing with my money, buying newspapers like Dick Gregory. (laughs) The Trump effect and how it spreads. It says we are on the brink, under, under Trump, on the brink of fascism. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, Editorial 1210-2015. I say fascism is in stage white supremacy. 
See, it's, I mean, just like in Nazi Germany. Fascism, system of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. Context of white supremacy, the grandcestor, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. You should read the ISIS papers if you have not, or check out some of her numerous lectures uh, if you are not informed with her work, again, accurately. And in fact, she was so early when she said, meet your next president, the audience of her students in Washington, D.C. laughed at her. It wasn't even, oh yeah, of course, it was, (laughs) it was so early. No one even took it seriously, and she was very serious in her scientific analysis why she concluded a year in advance. Oh yeah. Donald Trump, even going back to 2013, what she was saying, putting it all in context. The reason for that extra introduction today, just very important. Again, when you come into discussions of racism, white supremacy, oftentimes people have very different perspectives. Talking to someone who was surprised about this event happening. We were not very excited. Our discussion on the book, what it is, race, family and one thinking Black man's blues. The author joining us live, Mr. Clifford Thompson. Mr. Thompson, are you with us, sir? I am here. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your time and energy with us this Monday evening. Uh, For folks, uh, I'm sure this is some people, their first time uh, hearing about you and your work. Uh, Just briefly before we hop into things, uh, any important tidbits that you think it would be important for listeners to know about who you are and the work that you do? Who I am and the work that I do. Um, I'm a writer. Um, I am just a, a person who um, is black and grew up in America and um, uh, developed my own way of thinking about being in America. I mean, on the one hand, it's the only home I've ever known. On the other hand, of course, it has um, a long history of oppression. And so um, many years of my life were spent um, developing um, a a functional attitude toward living here. Um, You know, so if it's the only home you've ever known on the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, there's a long history of oppression, how do do you fit yourself into that picture? And so um, the conclusion I eventually arrived at was that... um, I would claim America as my home and embrace the idea of America based largely on the sacrifices that generations of blacks had had made for me you know and um so that was that was one pillar of my belief my belief system the other is what was um always uh making sure to judge people as individuals not to make judgments about people based on skin color so that that's where uh you know th- those have been the foundations of my belief, my beliefs, and um, I found those beliefs challenged by the election of Donald Trump. So that's that's uh, that's kind of the, the baseline, and 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 you know I'm a, I'm a writer, and I, I think about these things, and so in the wake of the election, I found it necessary to do some some rethinking, and the result of that rethinking was is uh, is my book, what it is. Much obliged, sir. Uh, for people who have not uh, seen you, you are a black male. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that is that is correct. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. We're reversing things on the program. I think I said already definitions, definition of racism in particular, very important. Yeah. 
uh, what when you use the term racism, what do you mean? What do I mean by racism? Um, I I mean a popular definition of racism today is um, you know prejudice pr- plus power. You know. Uh, so that you can be prejudiced if you're, you know, you can, you can be a black person who's prejudiced against whites, and, um, but, but to be a racist, you have to actually be in a position to, um, to enforce your prejudice. I mean, so that, so that's, you know, I, I understand that definition. To me, racism is, you know, racism and prejudice are, 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 are much, much the same thing. They have the, the same, the same root. So that's, that's, that's how I come to it. Okay, uh, and this is what I mean yeah. about uh, for listeners. Uh, yeah. Definitions yeah. are important, and particularly for non-white people. When you talk to other yeah. non-white people, and mm-hmm. be, even before the conversation gets started, what's your definition yeah. of racism? And if it sounds like yeah. they don't have one, that might be a place mm-hmm. to even stop right there. Because what I just heard, you said a popular uh, definition is power and prejudice. Uh, and you yeah. said for you, because the question I asked is, what do you mean when you say racism? Yeah. Yeah. And so you said for you, racism and prejudice yeah. are about the same thing. And then you stop. Are, are, are much the same. Are much the same. Yeah. Okay. So I, mean, I, 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 I oppose prejudice just on, on moral grounds. Well, hang on, because we're, now we're on a different word. Yeah. So let's pause right there because okay. I didn't ask about prejudice. <laughs> okay. I still have okay. not got what do you mean when you say racism? Because we just moved to prejudice, so let's get back to racism. What do you mean okay. when you use that term? Okay. Well, I, I guess I'm, I mean, I mean the oppression of a people based on on uh, something as superficial as skin color. That's 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 my definition. Spectacular. And this is not like a attack or anything. Words are important. And yeah. I found that a lot of times when discussing racism, people do disagree and what have you. But a lot of times the disagreements yeah. could be paused, if not completely eliminated, if we just, well, let's get the definition straight. Because I found a lot okay. of times right. people don't have definitions at all. And that is a whoa, <laughs> argument <laughs> is done. Conversation okay. is done okay. because you can't use a word if you don't have a definition. That's elementary school unless I've been misinformed. So a whole lot of times <laughs> I found that out. So that has stopped the argument totally. Like, wow, I don't have a definition. Let me sit down and even, okay. you know, figure out what I'm talking. So clarity, just trying right. to get understanding. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Okay. Is it possible? And let me get this right here. Uh, we got oppression of people based on skin color. Did I hear it correctly? Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. I think that's, that, uh, that about covers it. Yeah. Okie doke. Yeah. According to your definition, is it possible for someone who is classified as not white to practice racism? It's possible for that person to be prejudiced, which again, um, I have a more, you know, I, I, I oppose on, on moral grounds. Um, I mean, to to a certain degree, you're, you're we're splitting hairs. But um, can can a person can a person who's non-white be be racist? Is what you're asking. Um, I, I, you know, I will throw it back at you. I think it depends on your definition of racism. You know, um, is it possible for a non a non-white person to enforce their prejudices against you know against a white person? Possibly. And in which case, I suppose that would fit the definition of of racism. Wow. Um, 
I guess I'll start here. Uh, we have a compensatory okay. call in on the weekends, and I say no metaphors for that program. That program exclusively, like it doesn't apply to any other broadcast. So people can use all the metaphors okay. they want today. I do interrogate them, though. Yeah. I tell people to do that all the time. You should appreciate that as a writer. Uh, <laughs> I will bring up metaphors. I am not splitting hairs. That that's the okay. reason that I took that uh, uniquely long introduction we normally would not take that long to set up a program because i knew this was going to be the case you, okay. it's it's okay. and for our listeners i'm trying to uh quantify the mm-hmm. enormous difference in terms of how we are conceptualizing this word we call racism, racism. this is okay. the equipment okay. i've said this repeatedly this is not just you in terms of my conclusion about this problem racism white supremacy a conclusion i will again say since we're talking about trump a conclusion that yeah. allowed me to accurately predict oh yeah he's going to win this election yeah. and months in advance my conclusion mm-hmm. is like me saying that the answer to this problem is negative two billion five hundred three and then everybody else stands up in the class and says well my answer to this problem is five billion eight hundred two we are way off like it's not close it's not you think the answer is five and i think the answer is 4.5 like whoa there is enormous this is not splitting hairs there is an and that's fine it's no problem and people have it it's just clarity so that i can understand what you mean and i also interrogate for logic because i've also found that people can have views on racism that are not logical at all and often are not supported by evidence. They're not a lot that happened. And you, that's fine too. People can take your logical views, but I do just like to point out the view that you have is not logical and or supported by evidence. So I go back to all of that to say, can non-white people practice racism? And again, we pivoted to prejudice. That's right. something that I point out in conversations. It's going to be hard to have coherent, logical dialogue on this if I'm saying that, you know, we're talking about racism and we keep moving to something yeah. different. So since you keep okay. using the term, what do you mean when you say prejudice? Because that's not a term I use. What, what do I mean when I say prejudice? I, I mean making judgments against uh, uh, about people based on skin color. Okay. Making often negative judgments. Yeah. Okay. Making negative judgments <laughs> about people based on skin color. And so yeah. a non-white person, according to that definition, could be prejudiced? Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, and again, this is this is important. What I have concluded, I didn't give my, the normal way that the program would operate would be, I would bring someone on and I would say, my definition, yeah. racism, yeah. white supremacy. I use those two terms as synonyms, and I use the same definition for both terms. The definition I use is as follows a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. And I normally ask our guests, white or non-white, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? And then I'll listen. And sometimes they'll say, oh, yeah, and we'll proceed. That doesn't happen too often. Sometimes they'll, well, I don't know. If it's a white person interesting, sometimes they'll say, oh, wow, that sounds like you're saying that all white people are consciously racist. Very interesting. Just the first five minutes when we get to the definition part. I told people in advance when I read your book 
and I had heard your interview, I said, oh, man, I'm going to have to switch it around on this one to ask to see if he has a definition, because I suspect we might not have a, a functional operating definition of racism here. And it's hard. To, what I just said, it's hard to have coherent uh, dialogue when both people or at least the definitions aren't shared or it seems one person really doesn't have a functional solidified definition of racism. That was why I switched. We asked first and that's what I thought. We moved to prejudice and all of this. So I gave you my definition. I'll ask the same question. Do you think it's accurate? Do you think that that system exists? Do I think that there's a worldwide system of people who classify themselves as white trying to oppress people who are not white? Is that is who that they classify as not white? Yes, sir, basically. Yeah. I think there is a system. I don't know if it's worldwide. I, I think there are machinations going on that, that are not visible to most of us um, that I think you could call white supremacy. I think white supremacy as a concept exists. So that's how I would characterize it. Hmm. Okay. A worldwide conspiracy? I don't know. Okay. On uh, page seven of your book, you said, is it time to resign my post as the only non-racist black person in America? What did you right. mean with that sentence? Well, that I was using hyperbole there. Obviously, I'm not the only, not the only non-racist black person in America. Um, what I meant was, in the, in the face of the fact that most white voters supported Donald Trump, is it time to rethink um, my belief in judging everyone as an individual, you know, whites and, and blacks alike? So by, by, using, by writing that sentence, I was indicating that uh, Trump's election led me to reevaluate my views. That's a curious, I'll say that's a curious way of articulating that the election of Donald J. Trump made you reevaluate your views. Uh, I, I say that because you are so cautious. You said it so many times already about saying that you're not prejudiced and you don't want to uh, right. just blanketly make a blanket indictment of whites uh, and just judging right. them as an individual. You say that so many times in the book and then this here is and I said that about those metaphors uh, is uh, an exaggerated uh, rhetorical statement that every black person is racist. I don't even see that sort of indictment. <laughs> no, no, I, no I, I was not. I was not suggesting that every black person is racist. Well, that's what it says. That's what it says. The sentence. Well, it's a, wait, wait, yeah, hang I mean, on one I, sec. I, hang on one second. Cause I just okay. want to finish this real quick. The sentence. I'm just reading. Is it time to resign my post as the only non-racist? Mm -hmm black person which I mean just verbatim yeah. it's suggesting that all the other black people are racist and that's why I asked yeah. about the definition it would be racist because they have animosity or some sort of feelings towards white people or they judge them collectively like that's and this is on page seven like that's a very yeah. interesting way to I, kick off a well and, and Hank, I'll let you respond I, I just want I, to contrast I thought again. it was understood that I, I do not really believe that all that all other black people in America are racist I mean that that would be that would be silly but that is not what I meant. I, I was using hyperbole. Right. Now, obviously, I'm not the only non-racist black person in America. 
Okay. I do I do want to say I do want to make sure I can finish my points. I'm certainly not going to interrupt you and I am looking forward to getting your responses yeah. and I hope I can get the same uh time to okay. respond, articulate myself. Um Okay. Let me go from that statement non-racist way. And I get the hyperbole. I understand that, but I mean they do uh, one yeah. of our listeners often says in in jest there is often truth. I do find that sometimes people make jokes and things and sometimes there is a kernel of truth. And I think a lot of scholars have written about that at some level. Uh okay. I pivot from that. You're married to a white woman? I am. Yeah. And you talk about that in the book. I just wanted to make sure for I'm sure a lot of folks listening in have not uh, read the text, so important to get that in from the very beginning. Did her your white uh partner, Amy, did her white family members, any of them have a problem with her marrying a black fellow? No. Why everyone they was did not. they did not. Wow. Wow. No issues of racism, white supremacy with other relatives has come up at any point during the, and you all have been married for how long? It's a long time now. Y'all have uh, over more than twenty five years. Wow. Wow. And no issues with, with any of the relatives at that time, during that time? No. No, no, none whatsoever. Did any of your uh, black family members have any concerns about you marrying a white woman? Not one. Nope. Wow. Very receptive all the way through. Let's yeah. see. Uh, the title of the book, again, and I'll come back to this for a few reasons, but the first time around, title of the book, What It Is, Race, Family, and One Thinking black man's blues why that title for the text well um i I explained in part of the book that uh there's a a a common saying uh these days um it is what it is you know and i I hear that saying all the time and for a long time i thought it was a kind of a a meaningless a meaningless saying uh that people just use kind of lazily but I've come to believe that there's a kind of a wisdom in it, you know. So it it is what it is, meaning that um, if you, you know, if you have a what seems like a problem, if you if you accept that it's the reality, then you can begin to to deal with it, you know, r- rather than rather than lamenting it, you can accept it for what it is, and then and then begin to deal with it. And as I explained in the book. Um, yeah, I, I'm a child of the '70s, and um, what it is was like black slang when I was growing up. So, so that that's that's why that title appealed to me, in part. And you, or I guess, let me go ahead and get the uh, subtitle for the text as well: yeah. "Race, Family, and mm-hmm. One Thinking Black Man's Blues." Any? Yeah, yeah. Any additional? Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, do you want me to explain the subtitle? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Well, um, that I mean, th- those are the concerns of the book. Um, I, I talk about race, of course. I talk about um, I talk about raising a family, and in the end, I think those two subjects kind of dovetail and 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 merge, or at least that's my intention. Um, I call it one thinking black man's blues, and every word is important there because it is, you know, it is one. One man's view. I'm not. I'm not claiming to speak for everybody. Um, and blues um, is a way of, um, a, a, you know, a, a blues song is an honest statement about uh, troubles. You know, and 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 in stating it honestly, 
you begin you can you begin to look at it clearly and again you begin to figure out what it is you can do about it so so it's 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 a way of it's a way of moving past a kind of a, a lament and 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 getting on with life looking looking at things squarely as as a blues song does so that then you can you can get on with things you can accept things as they are and move forward so that's that's the idea behind the title and the subtitle Gotcha. Context of yeah. white supremacy. Again, our guest, Clifford Thompson. Uh, you kind of already talked about this book in response to President Trump being uh, elected. You decided you wanted to reach out to uh, interview white people who supported Trump uh, in the book. You Among others, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, right. In uh-huh. the book, you interview white men exclusively why mm-hmm. did it, why was it white men exclude and older white men you didn't even interview any younger right. white folks everybody was was quite old why did you exclusively interview older white men right well um i only inter- i it's it's a fairly short book and i it i only interviewed um, a handful of people and i thought it would be interesting rather than try to interview a ton of people you know and and have snippets from interviews to interview a few people in depth and it was not a conscious decision to only interview male Trump supporters. I mean, th- these are the people who responded to my requests for interviews. Yeah, I, I actually approached um, um, female Trump voters, and, and you know, I, several people just would not talk to me. So I, I sort of went with what I had at that point. Just a limited. Not all folks want to talk. Uh, I, that was right. when I was talk, when I was uh, kind of talking at the beginning of the program. I said when I heard your NPR interview, that caught my yeah. attention uh, because that was the way mm-hmm. that they promoted the segment and saying that you went out to talk to these white guys. And I thought, oh my goodness, like right. that. That was something. Even though I was not surprised with Trump winning the election, that is yeah. one of the primary things that stood out in my mind is that fifty-two percent of white female voters across all demographics supported trump Mm -hmm. and i said oh my goodness like that's something that i talk about on this program all the time the importance of white women and maintaining the system and Mm -hmm. particularly with all of the me too and the fondling and you know white women are empowered to see we're down with patriot and then 52 percent of the white women voters supported uh trump and i thought wow that that's that would be the in fact i thought that should have been the story following the election mm. like what happened with white mm. women how could they do this and i've brought this up with white women before and some of our non-white guests what was your mm. thought did you have any, any dialogue with your white wife about this or do you have any thoughts about white female <laughs> well, support of trump well my, my wife was not a trump supporter so I, there's there was a pretty limited uh, insight that she could give me about that and like me she tends not to um yeah, her, her circle doesn't include um too many, uh, too many conservative Republicans. So, you know, it, when it came to that, she she didn't really know much more than I did about uh, about why white women supported Donald Trump. Mm. So, yeah, I do not think that that is accurate. Uh, if she is a white woman, but I may be uh, inaccurate. Uh, and I, I will also add that since people often don't tell uh, who they voted for. It might be presumptuous for any of us to presume that we don't know uh, Trump supporters. I I definitely do not make that assumption. And since most white people did support Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. even though I'm in Seattle, Washington, where Bernie Sanders won, Hillary Clinton couldn't even win Mm -hmm. the primary out here. 
I still right. assume if I'm talking to a white person, eh, it could be a yeah. Trump supporter. I mean, eh, most white well, people. I, I can tell you, I'm not married to one. <laughs> Put it that way. Uncles, uncles. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. When I, oh, I got lost in that. You had a few scenes in the book where you, I guess, are going to these white people's residence to do your interviews and having a few beers uh, as you all sit down to do your uh, interviews. Did you have any concerns about consuming alcohol while you were doing your project? Consuming alcohol <laughs> with these white people, put it that way. Well, <laughs> I didn't get drunk. Um, I think one of the guys and I had a, a beer apiece and that, that was about it. Um, so no, I, I didn't have any serious concerns about that. Okay. Stood out just, I talk on this, but we have a PSA at the end of every broadcast about being sober. And I specifically uh, encourage non-white people to uh, not consume alcohol in the presence of whites for a variety of reasons. But that was why that <laughs> stuck out. Uh, in a, I'm super serious. Like that's enough. I do not joke about that. Uh, do you know uh, okay. uh, James Bird Jr.? Does that name, is that name familiar? Um, uh, no. Tell me. Okay. Jasper, Texas. Dragged behind the oh, truck. Oh, of course, of course, yes, yes, okay. yes. Okay, I know who you're talking about. Yes, uh, he um, was friends with a white person. He had white friends too, and they had been yeah. drinking, and that was how that started. Yeah. They offered him a ride because he was intoxicated. They offered him a ride. He took right. it because these are his white friends, and the rest is right. you know hate crime law. Uh, but right, right, was, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, you in the book also. <clears throat> mm. Wow, I want to read this passage from the text. This is on page 20. Metaphors. My family and I were certainly not unaware of or indifferent to white racism. The comment I made at eight about white people, they hate us, was obviously inspired by something. Some observation or overheard exchange I could only make wild guesses about now. But generally speaking, I at least had the sense during that era the early 1970s when my awareness of the world was taking shape that things were much better for black people than they had been in a time I couldn't remember. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated just a few years earlier part of what I now understand was a backlash against the civil rights era but I didn't consider his murder as proof of the folly of hope any more than Christians looked on Christ's crucifixion as a reason to suspend their faith in God. Now, I talked about metaphors. That would be a simile specifically. I talked about metaphors and I looked at this and I thought, wow, this is kind of comparing keeping faith in white people, hope in white people to keeping faith in God. Like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I, well, I, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't keep call it, Keeping faith in white people exactly as so much as in the chances and the destiny of black people in America. I was hopeful about, and and it seemed to me other people were were hopeful about that, and more more hopeful than than black people as a group had been. That's how I would characterize that passage. It uh, that hope seems to be very much based on 
again, that not collective, not viewing a white person kill Dr. King. You even talk about that in the book may have even been with government health. You have if uh, in the text specifically, uh, it, at right. least to my reading, it very much seems like this one white person who did this to Dr. King or maybe the other whites in the government. Maybe uh, this should not damage our hope in other good whites. And then, as I said, the simile relating to God and even even that relation to God, because that happens so consistently on uh, the system of racism. We've had other guests on the program who talked about a white person who allegedly did something against racism being angel like uh, again, God type uh, metaphor uh, later down in the book. Uh, you write my white friends, God bless them. I paused right there. So close. Uh, never questioned the way I lived, which could not be said for some of the blacks I knew. These white friends simply let me be myself. And yet, as I laughed and joked in their presence, sitting next to them amid the den of, of bars or drinking beer, <laughs> bars or drinking beer from the bottle while standing among clusters of them at one of those countless dimly remembered parties from my 20s. Sometimes a voice whispered somehow very audibly in those loud gatherings that I was alone. I do want to ask a question because I do think that's an important paragraph, but the drinking again, sobriety would be best. Uh, I read that passage just because again, my white friends, God bless them. Connection to whites and God, very common white Jesus. But I do want to ask, uh, I thought that was super serious. The religion of white supremacy. I normally say it very serious. The religion of white supremacy. But I do want to ask what, what was that feeling of aloneness when you're at the, you got your white friends and you all are doing it up and they accept, they don't question you. What was that feeling of aloneness? Well, I think when you, yeah, I'm, I'm in my fifties and, um, when you're growing up in America, especially during the time that I did, you receive, um, I would I would say messages, um, unspoken ways of being told that you are not quite American. You know, you're you're um, so. You know, the the term "all American good looks" was common when I was growing up. Um, I remember the Crayola crayon box had a had a crayon that was called you know flesh. Right, and it was the color of a white person's person's flesh. Right, so in many ways, you got this subtle hint that there's a difference between you and and people who are really Americans. Right, so um, so I, I I think like many people, I grew up with that in the back of my mind, and so if you're you know surrounded by um, by white people, then you might sort of question the basis of your relationship to these people, not really accepting that you are all citizens of the same country. So I think that's where that came from, because I had not really thought through to the conclusion that, um, that I am as American as anyone else who was born here. Right? So I think that's, that, that's what I was trying to get across context of white supremacy again our guest clifford thompson discussing his book what it is uh if you have questions you would like to ask the number 605-313-5164 the code 564-943 pound press star 61 if you would like to participate 
Mr. Thompson, what is the victim elite? <laughs> the victim elite, in my, in my definition, is um, are, are people who embrace, I mean, of course, um, oppression of people of color and, and other minority groups is a very real and 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 very dangerous thing. Um, what I call the what I used to call the victim elite is is people who just embrace this um, this oppression as as their identity, you know, who 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 kind of found or or, or sort of base their identity on on this notion of being oppressed, and um, and almost wear it like a like a sort of a badge, you know, um, which is just. And and so I, I guess I, that's not how I have approached my life. So I, so that's that's how I would define that. Wow. Uh, can we do a uh, word association? Like I can just say a term and you sure. just sure. awesome, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Al Sharpton. You mean what is the first word I think of? Yes, sir activist hmm interesting the, yeah. almost sounds some people would say that right there that his picture should be there victim elite his picture should be right there he is the worst uh, he is the worst well yeah i don't i mean i i don't i'm not thinking of i'm not thinking of people who legitimately oppose uh racism and discrimination when i say victim elite i'm, I'm talking about people who um sort of found their whole identities in, in the notion of being oppressed, or, or, or so, or so it seems. Hmm. They found yeah. their whole identity on the notion of being oppressed, or so it seems. Yeah. And you use the yeah. metaphor. You said it's almost like they wear uh, their victimization or their oppression uh, as a badge. Um, right. Right. Yeah. If there is a system of white supremacy, are there victims mm-hmm. of racism, white supremacy? Of course. Okay, so is there something incorrect if there are individuals who say, hey, I'm a victim of white supremacy, and I think that is the dominant part of my identity under this system of racism is being victimized? I choose not to make the fact that I am a victim of white supremacy the, the, the foundation of my identity, because then the white supremacists really have won. If they cause me to define myself primarily as a victim of white supremacy, then they've won. Okay. Okay. That's much obliged for that answer. But, uh, is what exactly is incorrect if someone else decides that they do think that the system of white supremacy dominates their identity and that that's accurate. What is incorrect about them? Because, because they have given up their personhood. Hmm. I am a human being first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Right. I am. I am not first and foremost the victim of white supremacy, and nobody can tell me different. I'm Cliff Thompson. I'm a human being. I'm a man. That that is what I am. I am not first and foremost a victim of white supremacy. I may be a victim of white supremacy, but that is not my identity. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. 
this is one of those I just have to uh, go back to the beginning in terms of having a difference. If there is a system of racism, yeah. white supremacy in terms of how dominant you reference Michelle Alexander in the book. Oh, that would be another cowbell. Yeah. Anyway, you uh, reference Michelle Alexander in the book, The New Jim Crow, and she yep. talks about the so-called criminal justice system and lots yep. of different aspects of how all of this operates, the election of Donald Trump, all areas of people activity. Uh, if yep. that is accurate, then I can absolutely see how one could accurately and based, again, on evidence and logic conclude as a non-white person. Wow. The dominant identity that I have in terms of how I'm treated, how I'm allowed to function in the known universe, victim of white supremacy. I can see the logic of that. But again, that's difference. Yeah. Uh, the I do want to nab some of the folks who called with questions, but yeah. I will get in. Let's see. Two. I'll get in a few more and then we'll nab the, the folks who dialed in. You have a, a fascinating passage in the book. I, I cut the NPR segment. They were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Thompson was talking to Bob pseudonym, one of these white fellows who voted for Trump. And Bob yeah. was a California highway patrolman. I thought of that incident mm-hmm. with the black female who was pummeled by a California highway patrolman in 2014 on the side of the road. She got a multimillion dollar settlement, but that was the first thing that came to mind when I thought of the CHP. Anyway, mm-hmm. you went to hang out with Bob and you all were talking and he says that he didn't really have a whole lot of contact with black people until his time as an enforcement official. And he starts talking right. about, uh, different interactions. And he says, Oh man, I'm going to tell you about this, uh, this one, this one time here. Uh, matter of fact, let me read the past I highlighted it for a reason. Uh, on page 70, uh, of what it is. Good old Bob says, man, I'm having to work my fingers. Uh, scroll back up in fact to get to the part of the story I can't even I just have to tell you the rest so I can read the part that I want to get to so he's talking to Bob Bob says oh man I'm so embarrassed I had this one time when I was an enforcement official let me tell you I pull over this black guy I stop this colored fella blah 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 he's sitting way back you know in the back seat he's so tall I can't even figure it out like wow this is the tallest you know black fella I've I've ever seen here and it's like oh man he figures out it's Wilt Chamberlain uh, for people that this is a Hall of Fame basketball player Los Angeles Lakers Hall of Famer I played for the 76ers too Uh, he passed away not too long ago Wilt the Stilt he's in quite a few movies and has a book very very popular in the 60s 70s anyway uh, he says, yeah, I stopped uh, Wilt Chamberlain. And the guy says, whoa, Wilt Chamberlain, that's crazy. Uh, and he says, what was he like? And he says, eh, eh, another nigger. And his right. black, uh, and I guess it seems like what I guess made this uh, a bad situation for him is that the black supervisor that he said he had some respect for was behind him. He didn't see him and he felt really bad though. I mean, just from the way he told you the anecdote, the way it's written, it seemed to suggest if the black supervisor hadn't been there, they could have just laughed and moved on and this wouldn't have been a big deal. This wouldn't have been a signature day in his, uh, it, let me, I'll pause right there before I get to the part that I want to read. You were there. Is that your interpretation of it? Oh, well, yeah. So, so the, the black person who was in the squad room was not a supervisor, just another, an, another enforcement official. But, uh, but yes, I mean, I think probably the reason that stood out in his mind was that, that, that black man was in the room <clears throat> when he said that unbeknownst to him. And then he realized it. Okay, thank you for the uh, correction. Accuracy is, and what was I thinking? Black supervisor, but yeah, that's that's that was my reading of it. Uh, that it wouldn't have been right. a big deal, which you can make your own interpretation. Yeah. Now to the part that I yeah. wanted to read. Uh, so he tells the whole story. Blah blah blah. Uh, at this point, I'm guessing Bob forgot who he was talking to. They just, you know, they just 
hummed around and walked differently talking about black people not everybody but i mean they were just different and that's just the way they are and that's just and that's okay and they talk and they have all their jibber jabber jive and stuff and they talk and i go whatever i love that i'm using that jibber jabber jive uh i have to say first with absolute sincerity and you can scream uncle tom at me all you want that I admire Bob for telling me the story about Will Chamberlain. He did not have to do it. And as he surely knew, the story does not flatter him. What he did not know, I'm guessing, is the extent to which he contradicted himself in a very short time, making the light year trip from I don't have anything against any color of skin. I don't care what color you are to never, ever good jibber jabber jive. Got to say it again. Now, the reason for reading all of that. When you met at the beginning of that paragraph, you can scream Uncle Tom at me all you want. Who were you thinking yeah. would be yelling Uncle Tom at you? <laughs> um, well, I could imagine, I can imagine people, some people of color um, reacting negatively to the fact that I said I, was, I admired Bob for his honesty. That's, that's what I was thinking. That uh, seems like the very definition of prejudice. Um, how so black people haven't even been given an opportunity to call did did people like write in after the public or they didn't even get the chance it's not like the book was published and your email account was flooded with emails Thompson you Uncle Tom you Sambo you coon I can't believe you sat there and listened to Bob tell call Wilt Chamberlain a nigger and you didn't do anything you should have bopped him upside that and you coon you're the Uncle Tom that I mean, we didn't even get an opportunity yeah. to do all that. We were already wait a minute before you could like you <laughs> and to contrast, I don't mm. see that sort of presumptive assumption with whites that they will do something racist. It seems to come up repeatedly in the book with black people that there would be a thought that black people would be attacking you. Have black people called you have you had that happen a lot? Black people calling you an Uncle Tom? Uh, no, 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 and, and I disagree that that I that I, you know, that I give whites a pass in the book. Or, um, um, I mean, if, if if you read the book, I think you will see that um, I, I take, you know, it's, it's possible that I was um, predicting a reaction that did not happen, but. Um, I do not let white people off in the book. I, I think you have to concede that. Mm-hmm. Are you married to a white woman? <laughs> you know I am. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on page 40, I'm multitasking here. You're making me move my question order around to address letting white people off in the book. I'm not even sure what that terminology means uh, letting white people off in the book on page 40 my fingers are having to work too hard today you oh 48 I messed up not even get my page number right page 48 and this is a point that you come back to a few times in the book in terms of what I said before the, the point about being uh, prejudice in fact I'll stop and read I got to the page thankfully Sometimes incidents of skin color, cancer, 
operated on me in a similar way. I knew that I believed in judging people, no matter who they were as individuals. And I knew that many blacks disliked and trusted whites automatically. I knew that one of those positions made sense to me and the other didn't. But there were moments when I did not know which was which. And while I mostly remained disgusted by the idea of there being different teams of Americans, there were moments with all my white friends living in my mostly white neighborhood when I wondered if I'd spent my life suiting up for the wrong one. Mm -hmm. These two opposing beliefs stemmed from different concepts of what it meant to be a right thinking person. That meant for me being a good person and a quality essential to being a good person was to remain free of prejudice. There's that word again. Any prejudice emphasis for many black people to be a right thinking individual meant to be a good black person. One one who was concerned first and foremost about other blacks, whatever that might mean for non blacks. While only one of those beliefs seemed right to me, I found myself able I found myself able to understand as I had not been able to at one point in my life the appeal or at least the logic of the other and this is a notion that comes comes up repeatedly in the book as I said you you start off the only non-racist black person this idea about black people being prejudiced against white people to your point about letting uh, white people off the hook in the uh, letting white people off the hook in the book whatever that means uh i'm not i don't really hear points where white people are indicted in the same way that black people are uh and then there are lots of points like this where it comes back to questions about black people being suspicious of white people black people having reservations about white people black people who do not have friends homies white wives white husbands the same I guess, relations, intimate emotional connections that you do to whites. It seems to be that 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 comes up repeatedly where black people are are either rebuked or something is called into question uh, about black people specifically who have that position. I I think that's I think that's a misreading of the book. I really do. Hmm. You don't think there's you don't think you are uh, critical of black people who take this sort of position in the in the text? What I am trying to get across is that I was raised, um, as I said, to judge everyone of every color as an individual, first and foremost. Um, In my life, I have um, encountered quite a few people, quite quite a few people of color who, who feel differently. I understand why they feel differently. Um... In my life, I have seen many, seen and read about many instances of white racism. Um, so, the book is an attempt to square um, the, the foundation of my beliefs, which is judging people as individuals, with the obviously racist nature of what transpired in 2016 and what has transpired since. Um, in the book, I tried to be as honest as I possibly could about about my views and my experiences, um, even when I no longer hold um, some of those views. Um, and that that is the basis of what I've written in the book. 
Um, I do not feel that I am more prejudiced against blacks in the book than I am against whites. Um, I tr I've tried my best to look at um, the situation we're in for what it is and, and, and figure out the best way to go forward and to maintain my belief in not being prejudiced and my embrace of America based on the contributions of black people to this country. At least in terms of clarity's sake, um, mm -hmm. a great deal of when you say not being prejudiced uh, from my reading of your text and listening to you, in yeah. my view, mm -hmm. it should be not being prejudiced against white people. Because I already told you, I think the Uncle Tom statement, I think that is an example of you being prejudiced against black people. Um, and I'm, then, I'm not prejudiced against black people. Okay. Uh, I Just in terms of the representation of black people in the book, I can go to the last page of the text because I thought this was really interesting and would love to get okay. your, your thoughts. Uh, so right. you, I'm wanding through. For the listeners, I was bummed. I will say the NPR title for the, your interview last month there was Black Author Discusses Trump with White Conservative Men. That is not the title of the book. I totally get it. Uh, I read the title before. The title again, What It Is, Race, Family, and One Thinking Black Man's Blues. That is the title of the book. But because right. I heard of this at NPR, I told you the hook for me was, oh, wow, he's interviewing these white guys. That was that's what I wanted to read. I started reading the book and I told listeners, I said, man, I've got a third of the way through the book and there's not one interview of a white guy. Like, what the heck? I read. I like, oh, OK, they're coming. OK, so I read the interview. Get through Bob. Will Chamberlain is a nigger. Blah, blah, blah. OK, then the last third is not about these interviews either he's talking to other people he goes to the gun range black gun club all that that's which is great but that's not what i was prepared for so i was bummed i felt like it was false right. advertising with npr but they got to do what they got to do so i get to mm -hmm. the end he's at the gun club end of uh what it is goes back he goes first uh with another black male philip black gun club goes back again this time white people so he's at the gun club he gives a long explanation about what it's like to be there to experience all of this the last page of the book Mr. Thompson, he writes, as I stood amid the smell of smoke and the plink of gold colored shell casings hitting the floor, a kind of window opened in my mind, a peek into another life. What if I were a different sort of person who traveled a different path? What if I were a black man whose upbringing had been rougher, who was harder, who had been shown less compassion, who had been encouraged not to think quite so much, but to do? What if seeing the wrong done to dark skinned people, I didn't worry about the why, but only the what I might embrace simple logic, simple feeling. I might have no trouble deciding who the enemy was. I might find others like me, others who saw things happening in their country. They didn't think could happen anymore. Others who thought one bad turn deserved another. Others who finally began to wonder, like me, why were, why we were killing each other when the real enemy was elsewhere. Guns would be a regular part of my life. This rougher, simpler life, not just in the shooting range, but in my home, on my night table, a dark weapon with its satisfying weight tucked into my baggy jean shorts, making a small bulge under my loose-fitting t-shirt as I walked the streets, maybe your streets, alert to signs of disrespect. 
and as I peeked into that life, I realized how easy it had become here in the safe and controlled environment of the gun range, how very, very easy it had become to pull the trigger. I'll share my thought, but I'll stop first. What were you? I mean, this is the end of the book is is right here. Why? Why mm-hmm. end the book with this? And what did you want to leave readers with, with you and the gun range with this thought? I, I intended that as just an acknowledgement of the very justifiable anger that people of color in this country have. Um, and I wanted to give voice to that. And I wanted to acknowledge um, my understanding of um, a different point of view from mine. So that, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I think, I hope it's clear that that is an imagined scene and it's not something I advocate or something that um, I'm planning to do myself. It is, again, just a, a representation of justifiable anger. Okay. Uh, I read, and I said that from the title, Thinking, uh, and I thought mm-hmm. to myself, uh, I don't generally hear I'm a thinking white man. I'm a thinking. (laughs) That is laughable. That's the first time right there with you. It's laughable almost. I've never, I don't think I I can't think of one instance where I've heard that. That's a thinking white man right there. That Donald Trump, that's a thinking white man. I've never heard that white woman. I've never heard that. That's a thinking white. I have heard thinking black man educated but i have heard that regularly which to me suggests that typical black people do not think or at least the common understanding would be that black people are kind of the bell curve that's all that needs to be said that would that's what yeah. it would make me suggest or think but then as i continue well, with it or hang yeah let me let me finish with my thoughts on the last yeah. question as i as i went here you know if you were someone else what your life might be like and i just thought like wow like is this the way that we think about black people like baggy jean shorts carrying a gun? And it was so, it was so descript in some manners with the closing. Like, what do we think? What is blackness baggy jeans, t-shirt? Like that's, it's a pretty cliche reading of blackness in this last paragraph. And then the, the gun and the anger it's it's just kind of vague and random because it's not this it's not specific it's not i have a gun and i'm going to go shoot bob it's not i have a gun and i'm going to avenge sandra bland or trayvon martin in a justified manner justified rage. it's not that it's i could just be out on the streets any streets your streets as a black person like to do harm to you or because it says alert to signs of disrespect that could be anybody like this is this sounds like it could just be a potential mugger thug uh someone who does need to be in greater confinement like to me it didn't even read like oh i could see how someone could be justified it just it seemed like oh a black hoodlum like that's the way it read to me because it was not attached to doing because you said not thinking so much doing it was not attached to doing it was just kind of a loose description of what could be the common criminal thug the description that leads to Trayvon Martin Tamir Rice Michael Brown Jr. I'll stop saying names does that what are your thoughts well I've already given you my my interpretation of 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 that last passage that you read so I'll I'll stick by that and as for the um 
the part of the subtitle "Thinking Black Man." Is, I mean, I've heard, I've heard many instances of, you know, it's it's a thinking man's this or it's a thinking man's that. So I wasn't, um, I, I was not suggesting with my subtitle that most black men don't think. Um, I was indicating that I am a black man and that I think. It was not intended as any sort of comment on, um, on, 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 on the, the, general, the general run of black people. And I, I sincerely hope no one interprets it that way. Well, I think the system of white supremacy automatically does uh, insist, I was going to say suggest, but I mean it generally insists pretty strongly that black people do not think. Uh, bell curve bestseller sold way more books than yours has thus far hopefully you'll break that trend but uh, i mean just being truthful fact that's facts as they say bell curve bestseller new york times uh and then at a smaller level uh as i said i mean you do say if i thought less and did more uh and that's what the system of white supremacy and currently don't have those failing schools for no reason that's not a michelle alexander cowbell new jim crow like that's not a that is not an accident uh i will get to the call or I guess the in the NPR interview I'm quoting you said I still maintain my beliefs in you know calling myself an American and two judging people if I have to judge them as individuals there it is again and that should be white people uh, judging white people as individuals what's changed I think is my sympathy for people of color who just can't get there what did you mean when you say that your your sympathy for people of color who just can't get there can't get where well I, I mean what I mean is that I, I it is understandable to me Given the the, um, the history of oppression in this country and and conditions on the ground today, that um, some you know other black people might might disagree with my point of view, and I and I completely respect that. So let me just make sure I'm understanding you correctly. When you say that what's changed is your sympathy for people of color who just can't get there, do you mean you have, uh, I guess, a better understanding of non-white people who do not have the same view that you do? Since I'm saying what you, to me, what it you really mean is I am not prejudiced against white people. I do not evaluate and think of white people as racist, but the non-white people who do think of white people as racist, I have more sympathy for you now following the 2016 election. Am I accurately processing what you're saying? Well, I, <clears throat> I, I have a greater understanding of, of that point of view now than I, than I did, than I used to. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, if that's, and that's what I mean about being more accurate because that's huge uh, because in my view, and I know you said we disagree in my view in the text, it does come across as you have some, I would say, uh, anti-black views. The book to me does not. I do not have anti-black views. Okay. I say that very strongly and I resent the fact that you keep trying to suggest that I do. I did say I would appreciate if I could, you know, articulate. I certainly will give you an opportunity to share where you don't agree, but I would like to speak without being interrupted. Your uh, lack of agreement is noted, but I did read the book and it does sound if I was reading this book and I had not seen you, I didn't know, you know, no pictures of Mr. Thompson. Unfor- I would say, unfortunately, I would have rather seen it, read it and not known what you look like. No idea. Is this a white person, non-white person, any of that information. But if I didn't know any information and I just read your text, I would say, wow, this does not this book reads like someone who does not have a high uh, opinion of black people. 
uh, I'd point to a few different points. Even I think a point where you talked about having uh, superior attitudes uh, to the black people who didn't think it was cool to hang out with white people, I guess not be prejudiced against white people and already have suspicion that they could be a racist. And that would just, it would seem to fall in you having more, even that's an, that's a curious word choice. I have more sympathy for the other non-white people who are still suspicious of white people. That's interesting, interesting way. It does not sound like someone who has, like I said, the same, it sounds like someone who has anti-black views. And again, you have, I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. I'll get to the folks who called in and uh, see if they have questions. Uh, Mr. Clifford Thompson, what it is, if you have read the book, now that would be interesting. Uh, if anyone has read the book and you have thoughts on what oh my gosh are you serious let me get in one more question just because of one of the folks who dialed in I'll double down on saying that I think this book reads like it's anti-black because I just looked on the switchboard were you at Elliott Bay Books in Seattle Washington Mr. Thompson yes I was man I live in Seattle Washington I was just at Elliott Bay Books Azure Savage was there she's on the line right now author mm-hmm. uh she or he sorry he spoke just i think a week before you were there came on the program we talked about racism when he was here i told azur the same thing that i think white people are much more receptive to having a non-white person talk about racism who is going to present and say that white people are ignorant about racism which is in your book as much as prejudice and all the rest that white people are ignorant 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 uh quite a bit that's not the totality but there's a lot of white ignorance in the book uh Azur Savage was talking about the same thing, white ignorance, when she spoke at Elliott Bay, being married to a white person. She has a white parent. I said that when we spoke there. She was talking about identifying as transgender. That was a portion of her conversation that's not in your book, but having white friends, a white wife, not prejudice. I can see lots of reasons why a book like this would appeal to white and the only non-racist black person that at the beginning of the book like oh yeah I can understand why a book like this would appeal and why yes you can come to Elliott Bay books and people will come out and endorse your book Azure I said the same thing with Azure Savage I can see immediately just from the presentation in terms of how a book is written are we being accurate about racism white supremacy are we giving accurate information or are we providing confusion uh, with how this is going to be presented and I think white people are much more receptive uh, to information that is not accurate letting them off the hook I think was where it was phrased and you have a white parent and or a white spouse already know this is not going to be too tough on white people uh, in Seattle with Gus T former guest on the program author I have her book right here you failed us students of color talk Seattle schools she was just at Elliott Bay Books the same month as our guest Clifford Thompson Azor Savage did you have a question for Mr. Thompson you should be with us hello yeah Azor are you with us not hearing you maybe she's muted he, maybe he's muted I'll check back might be Muted listening in, going down the line for the other folks. If you have questions, not uh, just running it with statements, questions, questions, so we can get to everybody. Henry in Chicago, did you have a question for Mr. Clifford Thompson? Can I hear? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, greetings, Gus, and uh, greetings, Mr. Thompson. Um, Mr. Thompson, um, in your 
early childhood and young adult years, uh, did you grow up primarily around white people or non-white people? Non-white people. Non-white people. Okay. Now, um, you mentioned earlier that uh, you and your wife uh, was uh, waiting for the election results in 2016, uh, thinking that uh, Hillary Clinton was going to win. Would you have written this book if Hillary Clinton won? That's a really good question. Um, I doubt that I would have because that uh, result would not have caused me to to challenge uh, my long-held beliefs in a way that I did after the uh, the election of Donald Trump. So I, I don't think I would have. Okay. Do you believe that it's just Republicans who are racist, or do you feel that Democrats are racist as well? Well, I... I I think um, I think growing up in America innocu- or, or, or infuses one with certain racist beliefs, and I think the difference between I don't I don't think there's a I don't think the dichotomy is between racist and non-racist. I think it's between people who work to overcome their racism and people who just don't care. That's that's the way I would phrase it. So do you, um, I mean, I, I wasn't clear if you, if you thought that Democrats uh, uh, were, were as racist as Republicans. I mean, well, they, can, they certainly can be. I, what, what I'm saying is that I, I don't think that you can draw a, a, a line down the middle and say, well, the people who belong to this party are racist and the people who belong to that party are not. I, I don't think that's how it works. I think, I think just growing up and breathing the air in America infuses you with certain racist beliefs, which um, responsible people try to um, uh, overcome in themselves, and other people do not. Does that answer your question? Mm, I I guess that's the answer you're going to give, but, I mean, I'll accept it. So that's all I have in my life. All right. Much obliged, Henry, in Chicago. Uh, Let's see. I think this is Ivy. Did you have a question for Mr. Thompson? Ivy? Uh, yes, sir. Greetings, Gus. And greetings, Mr. Thompson, and all the callers on the line. Um, Gus, you read a passage in his book, and I wonder if you could find that line again where he said he made a comparison, something about white people and then not like the black people that he had always known. Deep, deep. Could you find that again, or would it be too much? Can you uh, repeat it again? Just paraphrasing, you know. Something about um, it, there was a comparison between black people and white people, and the line said something about white people were this way, which was different from all of the black people that I had at all had, that I had always known, or something like that. Let's see. Let's, yeah, is this I, it? My white friends, God bless them, never questioned the way I lived, which could not be said for some of the blacks I knew. These white friends simply let me be myself. And yet, as I laughed and joked in their presence, sitting next to them amid the den of bars, drinking beer from the bottle. Does this sound like it or no? Yes. Say that first part again, the, the first part, <laughs> because when you were reading that, um, the author was talking at the same time, so I didn't hear it again. <laughs> 
My white friends, God bless them, never questioned the way I lived, which could not be said for some of the blacks I knew. These white friends. That's it. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Proceed. Okay. Um, Yes. um, It's Mr. Thompson, correct? Yes. Okay. Why did you make that comparison? Well... When I was uh, when I was a young man, um, I noticed that you know I, I would um, I had I had you know some friends who were black, I had some friends who were white. The um, a lot of a lot of black people criticized me for hanging out with white people, but um, I never got that kind of criticism from from uh, from white people that I that I knew about. That's and. Um, our host is going to point to this as, as as evidence of my prejudice against black people, but it's not. That that was just an observation that I made. So. He actually might uh, point to your prejudice against uh, black people for not giving him a chance to point that out, um, for assuming that, like he did earlier. But anyway, facts. Um, you you you, <laughs> you you spoke about uh, white people working on their racism and. Uh, other white people not doing so. Did your wife work on her racism? <laughs> that is, um, I, I really would rather keep my wife out of this, but yes, yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Thank yeah. you so much for answering that question. Um, you okay. mentioned white white racism. Is there such thing as non-white racism? Is there such a thing as you mean um, racism on the part on the part of people who are non non-white? I, I, I think so because you, you, you go ahead. Now, I, I, I personally think so. Yes, I, I think. So again, we're going to get into this uh, this difference between racism and, and prejudice and everything. But I, I am morally opposed to making judgments against anyone based on skin color. That's that's how I feel about it. You know, you can call it racism or you can call it prejudice, whatever you want to call it. That's that's how I feel. I see. Um, you, you, you spoke about the uh, the new Jim Crow in your book, um, and I read that book. Um, yeah. I have that book. It's the the whole book is mostly about probably about ninety nine percent, if not more, of it is about uh, black people being victims, and that has been most, if not her entire career, um, her interviews, her lectures, everything has been about our um, victimhood and. Right. My question, my question is, um, would you? Ca- I have two regarding that. Would you call her a victim elite? Um, would you call rape victims victim elites if they no. were to um, hold on, okay. <laughs> please? Those who um, have their identity as as being rape victims, also homosexuals, they have their whole identity as being victims um, of non-homosexuals. Who judge them and all these different types of things? Um, so, would you call? Would you consider homosexuals who do the same thing, um, rape victims who do the same thing, and Michelle Alexander? Would you call those people victim elites? And if not, why have you reserved that name calling really for black people who 
identify themselves as victims and who have that as their entire identity. Right. Well, I have not applied the term victim elite exclusively to black people. Um, and I, I don't equate the term victim with victim elite. I mean, every person of color in the United States is a victim to one extent or another. By victim elite, I mean something very different, um, which is um, a kind of, as I said, um, basing one's entire identity on the fact that one is a victim and, um, and, and making that um, a basis of, of prejudice. That's the distinction I make. I would not call Michelle Alexander a victim, uh, one of the victim elite because I think that with, that with her book, she has performed a, a tremendous service to this country. So, no, I would not call her um, one, of the, one of the victim elite. And when I refer to that term, I, I mean, I was referring to it as something that, I, as, as, as a view that I used to hold, right? I, I don't use the term anymore. I was trying to be honest about the views that I once held. And okay, again, um, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, I thought you were finished. And, and again, I, I was not applying that term exclusively to black people. Okay, um, you actually mischaracterized my question because I didn't say that you, I didn't make a comparison between victims and, I'll just put it this way, what I said was, do you call victim elites, not people that are just victims, but other groups of people who make being victims their whole identity? And there are other groups of people who do that besides black people. Homosexuals do that. Rape victims do that. I didn't say all homosexuals, all transgender, all rape victims, but there are many rape victims, homosexuals, transgender, who make their victimization their entire identity. And as I said, that has been the, the majority of Michelle Alexander's career as well. And so these three groups who do make victimization their entire identity, do you call them victim elites for doing the same thing that some black people do? I don't want you to answer the question again. I just wanted to clarify that. And my last question is this. You made a statement that if you, you made a statement that, that, that white people really would have won, racists really would have won if when when victims make it their whole identity to be a vic to 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 being a victim my question is why isn't their their bigger victory the bigger victory of racists just the fact that they're victimizing you and victimizing everyone else and that was it i'll mute my line thanks everyone thanks gus thanks mr thompson okay um i'm, I'm sorry was that was that a question yes sir that that did you, oh okay well I, uh, yes i i would um I, I would I would have I should say um, characterized anyone, uh, not just black people, who who base their entire identity on victimhood and and use it as a basis of prejudice. I would have I would have characterized anyone as as a member of what I call the victim elite. Yes. No, I, I had already asked that question. My last question was, you said that when 
you characterize as, you don't characterize yourself as a victim and make, or you don't make that your whole identity because if you make that your whole identity, racists have won. My question is, why isn't the, the bigger victory that racists have, have won just the fact that they're victimizing you, whether you make that your whole identity or not? Haven't they won more so just by victimizing you rather than whether you um, characterize that as your whole identity or not? Well, I guess I would say that um, the ultimate victory would be if if their actions led me to to limit my own sense of myself, and I refuse. So, yeah, I, there are certain aspects of of white supremacy I cannot control. I can control the way I think about myself, and if I cede that control to white supremacists, then that to me is like the ultimate victory for white supremacy. Okay, thank you. I'm in my line. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Nine zero two nine. Much obliged, Ivy. Nine zero two nine. Did you have a question for Mr. Thompson? Just listening, or did you have a question? Double back. Not hearing you. Not sure if you muted your line or maybe you're in an area where you can't speak. Uh, let's see. Azor Savage. We'll check again. Did you have a question? Azor Savage. Perhaps he's just listening as well. Uh, let's see. Thomas and Hello, New York. Oh, yep. Yes, sir. We can uh, We can hear you. Yeah, sorry nine. about that part of this call. Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to the callers, listeners. Um, thank you again, Gus, once again for the platform. Um, and greetings to Mr. Thomas. I just have a, a few questions. One of my questions is, who do you feel is more confused about racism, white supremacy, white people or non-white people? Um, I'm sorry, who, who's more confused about racism and identity, did you say? Racism, white supremacy. White, white people or white, non-white oh, people? Oh, I see. Who's more confused about it? Correct. Um, I, I'm, I'm not really sure I understand the question. Uh, who's, you mean who, who's more confused about the existence of it or? Um, well, 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 oftentimes, and I'll just, for example, when situations arise in, uh, on college campuses where there is a, some kind of event that happens to some degree, they often try to have some kind of town hall and to discuss the issues because they feel like people are just not knowledgeable about racism and things of that right. nature. Yeah. So that being said, do you think that people that are non-white are more confused about the system? Oh, or do you okay. feel that or people that are white are? Yeah. I see. Well, I, I guess I would say that of necessity, um, uh, white people are less knowledgeable about about um, about white supremacy, and and because you're going to be more knowledgeable about it if you if you directly suffer the effects of it. So, um, if if by confusion you mean lack of knowledge, I guess I would say white people. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you do you feel historically that that has been the case that white people are confused about racism, white supremacy? I would say yes. Oh, 
Um, has anyone of your uh, quote unquote white friends ever called you any derogatory names, uh, like call you a nigger just for fun or anything like that, or say you're my nigger or anything like that degree? No. Okay. Um, putting things in historical context, do you think it's right for black people to have a healthy suspicion of white people? You mean all white people? Or? Correct. Correct. Well, as I say in the book, I, I, I believe in judging people as individuals. You know, I mean, um, you when you meet people, you sort of, you know, no matter who they are, you you kind of pick up cues about about mm. what they're like, what they may think, um, and I I don't know if it's I don't know if it's healthy to have a you know suspicion. I, I think it's understandable. I think um, it's 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 probably part of a survival instinct to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to to, you know, we we all know about um, like areas where it, it it would be wise for black people not to go, right? Based on based on things that have happened there or whatever. So it's good to be knowledgeable. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's good to be knowledgeable. It's good to pick up on cues um, that you get from the people you meet. Um, I would, you know, it, it's it's a fine line. It, it's a it's a real balancing act to to maintain one's belief in judging everyone as an individual, but also, you know, surviving in the world. Um, that is the challenge that. Um, that black people face. So do you, so you're saying is that a yes? You think that black people should have a healthy suspicion of white people? I, I think I think the question I think the answer is not a, a yes. I, I don't think there's a yes no answer to that question. Um, I mean I, I think it's I think the answer is very nuanced. I've, and I've been trying to to give you my view of it. Okay. 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 Uh, That'll be all. Thank, thank you again for your time for coming on the show. Thank you. Let's see. Person who dialed in. A caller in Louisiana. Irie, did you have a question for Mr. Thompson? Mr. Thompson. Uh, Irie? Greetings. Greetings, everyone. Greetings, Mr. Thompson. Um, let's see. It was something you just said that made me think of something. So, you said just now that, um, you know, black people know that there are some areas that they um, can't go in. Why would that be? Well, <clears throat> because, you know, because uh, those places have a reputation for racist behavior or violence toward, toward people of color. Okay, well, wouldn't that be like, um, you know, uh, projecting prejudice on the gen- people in general? What about the individuals that are white that don't practice racism? in this area where they can't go what about them right well i it's not we're we're not assuming that everybody in those areas are racist we're just we're just we're operating on the the knowledge that um that uh racist behavior has has occurred in these places and so one 
if one is cautious, one may think twice about about going there as a black person. That's not to say that everybody in that area is 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 racist. It's just um, what the previous caller called a, a, a healthy suspicion of the people who who may be. Okay, so you do agree then that it's okay to have a healthy suspicion of white people in general, especially I, I if it's based that, off yeah. reputation, right? According yeah. to what you just said. Right. Well, I, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think you can get to that point from from what I said exactly. Well, you said we we were talking about a, a, a particular fictitious place that has a reputation. You said the mm-hmm. word reputation, correct? So it is okay to have a, a prejudice or some type of foreknowledge, you, or you called it consciousness, correct, of people in a general area despite yes. the individuals that don't practice racism. So you do agree that it is okay then if they have a reputation in a, in a town, wherever that is in the world or universe, where they're going to practice racism, white supremacy? Yes. Okay. Sure. The uh, last question I have for you yeah. is, um, given the fact uh, you do know that there are people who classify as white that want the United States to become a white ethno state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, yes. based on that knowledge, your experience, what you've written in the book, um, and your future outlook, if white people were able to institute, institute excuse me, um, their white ethno state, do you think you would be allowed to stay, yes or no? And if not, or if yes, why? And I'll meet my line. Uh, it doesn't sound like I would be allowed to stay, no. I would I would fight that uh, outcome with everything I had. Much obliged, uh, Irie. Uh, let's see, Thomas in New York. Did you have a question for Mr. Clifford Thompson? You should be with us. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, Mr. Thompson. Um, very interesting conversation. Uh, for the first, Gus, I must say, four more years. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, Hillary, Biden, and Bernie, I guess they're not white supremacists. It's just Donald Trump. He's the first one to come along. Uh, if there was a race war due to Donald Trump's racism, um, if you had to choose between your people and your white wife, which one would you choose? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. You know what I would choose? I, I would choose... I, I, I reject that choice actually. I, I reject that choice. I would fight I would fight for people who are against racism. Some of those black some of those people are black, some of those people are white. Those are the people I would fight with and for. Got you, got you. Well the last person asked the question, you said you would fight to stay in a white ethno state. <laughs> so I guess so, brother. Um, well, I, I'm sorry, what, what did you say? The last person asked the question, you know, about a white ethno state, and you said you would fight to stay. No, 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 no. I no. I said I would fight. I would fight to resist there being a white a white ethno state. Oh, I got you. I, I apologize, sir. Okay. Um, uh, have you ever spoken negatively about black people in the presence of your white wife or any of your white friends? No. 
never your cousin, your uncle, your friend, never, never, you never, mean, nothing negative. Well, you, you yeah, mean, not, have I have I spoken negatively about black people as a group? No, uh, any any black person, the black people. Sure. You know, I, I, oh, yes, okay. yes. Uh, because I'm not speaking about them as a black person. I'm speaking about them as an individual. Right. Got you. Have you ever had experienced a white person talking negatively about a black person and uh, felt that maybe they were uh, practicing racism? Yes, I have. And what did you um, do? I objected to it. Okay. No problem. Um, and what happened when you objected? How did you object to it and what happened? I was just curious to know. Um, I took just, out a machete and I cut the man's head off. You cut a man's head off. Yeah, yes, I did. I, I took out a machete. I cut his head off. Then I took an AK-47 and I blasted his body with bullets. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, turned it to a white person. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, you know I'm joking, right? Of course. That's why I said you. You know, you your, your response it, it sounded you know comical. Um, okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, I got you. You being sarcastic. Yeah. Um. Have you ever heard of um, circumstances where black people have power to keep whites from housing and employment or to keep them living in particular areas? No, I have not. Okay. Um, you said that you're morally opposed to prejudging someone based on their skin color. Um, mm -hmm. And you also said that, um, you know, you, you're not, you don't 100% agree with black people being suspicious of white people just because they're white. Um, do you think that it would have served the victims well at Mother Emanuel Church uh, when Dylan Wolf came in and shot them, uh, a white man, who they accepted in without being suspicious? Right. Well, obviously, if they had not let him into the church, they would still be alive. So it is it is very regrettable what happened. Um, I, I have to assume that um, they let they would let anybody into their church just in a spirit of openness and fellowship and, and a deranged evil person took advantage of that. And that is a tragedy. Do you think white people's churches have the same policy toward black people? I wouldn't know. Gotcha. Um, I have one more question, Gus. Um, and thank you for letting me ask my questions and thank you for coming on the show, Mr. Thompson. Sure. Um, um, since you're married, um, since you've been married to a white woman, mm. have you experienced racism and um, spoken about it to your white wife? Yes. And uh, how does she normally respond to um, with those compassion. Um, with compassion? With anger have and compassion. Ever, yeah. With anger. Um, has she ever confronted a white person on your behalf? Mm-hmm. Well, can you explain uh, that situation? It's more than one. Just well, I, one I'd rather thing? not. Actually, it's a personal matter, but I can I can say that she has. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Um, has she ever warned you about a white person being racist before you even got around them? I I can't remember. I don't know. Um, okay. That's my last question. Thank you, sir. All right. Much obliged, Thomas in New York, uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, well, before I get retired firefighter in Florida, I will say there is one incident in what it is where Mr. Uh, Thompson 
discusses a social media kerfuffle where he made some posts about the incident in Belgium. Uh, they had the terrorist attack not too long ago and a different uh, victim of racism uh, put in historical context as we did at the cows. Wait a minute. Belgium has a long history of white supremacy, racism, global system uh, and all sorts of terrorist conduct on the continent. And he shared this post and his wife, Amy Peck, did not have a compassionate response. You in the book said that she got upset with you. Yes, that is correct. Mm -hmm. Retired firefighter. Proceed. Greetings, Gus. Greetings, Mr. Thompson. And greetings to uh, all of the callers. Uh, Mr. Thompson, you mentioned the the, uh, term American several times. Uh, my question is, what what is an American, and what does an American do that no one else does? What does an American do that no one else does? Um, I would say that an American attempts to uphold the ideal of freedom and fairness, and obviously... Um, the country as a whole has fallen far short of that ideal. Um, but an American, I would say, is someone who perseveres in spite of, the, in spite of that past failure and, and with the understanding that there will be failure in the future, but who nonetheless holds these ideals to be important. Uh, and that saying, does nobody else in the world thinks that way? No, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. No, no, I, I didn't say you did. I was asking a question. Oh no, no, no. I, I would not say that. That I would say. I would not say that nobody else in the world does that. No. There, there, because there are three places that I know of that identifies as such: uh, North, Central, and South. Uh, question number two. Uh, you mentioned the term white people winning. Uh, could you define that? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're referring to. You don't recall stating that, uh, the possibility, not the possibility, but, uh, you don't recall yourself saying that, uh, of, uh, the term white people winning. You mean, you mean white supremacists winning? I, I refer to I, I refer to uh, white supremacists winning if um, if they lead me to limit my own view of myself. I, I, is that could what you describe? Saying? Could you could you give me a uh, a, uh, a description of them? What does it mean when when you say they they are winning? They'll be winning. Winning what? Well, what I just said. I'm, um, if if, a white, if white supremacy leads me to have a, a limited view of my own identity, then I feel that white supremacists would have won a victory over me, which is why I do not allow white supremacy to to inform the way that I view myself. Okay. Yeah. Is 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 uh, being white a biological construct or a political one? It's a, it's a, it's a construct all the way around. If you ask me, 
I, I don't understand your, could you uh, simplify that answer for me? Sure. Um, well, in other words, yeah. by, no, I won't, I won't help. I'm not going to help you with the answer. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Um, America is made up of uh, people of many different, you know, um, ancestries and, and previous national origins, right? Um, many of those people banded together under the umbrella of whiteness. So, in that sense, I suppose you could say that yes, it is a, it, it is a construct. It, it's certainly a, um, yeah, I, I would say it's a construct in that sense. Well, I made a distinction between okay. constructs. I said biological or political. Right. Can you, right. In other words, can you find a quote-unquote white person underneath a telescope? <laughs> well, I'm not a scientist, but I, I, I have, from, my understanding is that no, it, 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 is not a, it is not a biological fact. It is a, it is a construct. You... <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm not uh, uh, scripting my question in the most clear way because uh, you keep you keep using the term construct and not stating the term at all political. Is either I'm I'm stating is it is it a biological one meaning that you can find a quote unquote white person underneath a microscope by by their blood or is it a political construct? Which construct is it, political or biological? Not, not, not answer me by saying it's a construct. Right. I, I, I appreciate if I can get the answer stating if it, is it a biological one or a political one. Well, maybe you should define bi biological construct and political construct so that I know what answer I'm giving. Well, biology-wise, uh, you can uh, you can uh, look into a microscope or or uh, by testing someone's uh, blood uh, to come up with uh, uh, with something constructive uh, to help another person. Uh, political wise would mean that it's something that's made up by a person or a group of people for in the blank reasoning. Yeah. Well, and by that definition, I would say it's a political construct. Whiteness is a political construct. Yes. Okay. All right. This uh, gonna sound just gonna sound like a similar question that you already asked, but I had it down, so I still have to ask you. Uh, you use the term white racism, mm -hmm. and uh, to me, that's the assumption that there's some other. There's some other functioning form of racism. Okay. Are you aware of it? And so, could you tell me what that is? Okay. And I put emphasis on the term functioning. Right, right. According, okay, according to a very popular current definition of racism, it equals, it is prejudice plus power. So I, under that definition, I suppose there is no real functioning um, um, version of, of non-white racism. Thank work? you for your time, sir. Okay.
Much obliged, retired firefighter. Uh, let's see. Our female caller, uh, did you have a question for Mr. Thompson? Hello? Yes, ma'am. Hello? Yes, ma'am. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. I hope you have the best night you can have. Uh, Mr. Thompson, again, thank you so much for agreeing to speak to all of us. Um, I have, um, I guess, a different type of question. Um, you said that um, non-white people are more knowledgeable about racism because they're victims of it. Is that correct? I, I think by and large, yes. Okay. Um, so I just had, I guess, to compare, because that confuses me. Um, recently, I had some pain in my mouth. Uh-huh. And just, just follow me. With, um, so I had pain in my mouth. Um, but I had to go to the system that was created, dentistry, for them to tell me exactly what the pain was, what to do. And how to take care of it, right? Now, I'm a victim of the pain. I feel it. My furs can't eat this, that. So I'm a victim of it. But I didn't understand it because I didn't create dentistry. I don't have the knowledge of dentistry. I just know oh, my mouth hurts around my teeth. It's swole. I need to go to the people that understand. Now... You just said, I guess, talking to the other caller, ma'am, excuse me, Mr. Firefighter, sir, sorry, that, um, oh, oh, you said that, you know, the the only functioning one of racism is set up by white people. So if that's true, how could we as victims, well, I say you, as you said, you were black and I am black as well. We and others who look like us, as victims, even though we're feeling the pain, how would we understand more if we did not create the system? I mean, I... How how would we... Oh, oh, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Um, black, well... Again, I, mean, people, I knew my mouth was hurting, but... Right, I right, right. I, I mean, I, I don't... I'm not sure... I'm not sure how... Um, how well the analogy fits. Um... Yeah, I'm not black a writer people. like you, so I understand that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think just as, as I was trying to say, like of necessity, black people have to think about um, about racism more than white people do in order to outwit it, right? And so um, I, I think there are, I, I, I definitely think there are aspects of racism that black people understand better than better than white people do. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Again, like it, I'm not a writer. I just know. I mean, I understood my mouth hurt, right. but I didn't. I mean, yeah. I had to go to the people to figure out what to do. Right. Right. I mean, I just, I was confused. I was going to ask another question about skin, but this, I don't. Yeah. I'm not trying to get off. I'm. I'm just not trying to do that today. Uh, <laughs> I just had that question because it's just something that came to me, and I know Gus, mm-hmm. you're you're also a writer, so I yes. could be incorrect, and I will appreciate any correction on this because I hear that a lot that we as victims have more understanding. Oh, do you have another question? We didn't create the system, so I just wanted to know. Thank you. That's all. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night. 
much obliged. Uh, caller at four four nine nine four four nine nine. Oh, I, this is super quick. Uh, before we get four four nine nine, Mr. Thompson, uh, have you successfully outwitted the system of racism, white supremacy, where it's no longer a problem? <laughs> for you? Can any black person say that? I, oh, you hopped ahead. Oh, now see, I'm not asking that rhetorically. The reason I asked that yeah. question is because you just said black people have to be more informed to outwit it. Right. I don't right. know any black people who have outwitted racism. Do you? Right. Um, I mean, I could I could say I have, and then I I could go out tomorrow and be killed by a white supremacist. So no, I think it's a it's a new fight every day. Okay, I'm just that's what I, when I said at the beginning being logical mm-hmm. everybody can have whatever opinion they want but it has to be supported by evidence and logic if no one here if anyone on the line if you know a black person or you are a black person that has successfully outwitted racism white supremacy get your hand up immediately and we can end the cows we can just you know figure out whatever notes you did and, and do what you did and, and we won't have to listen to this nonsense anymore but until then if nobody can say that then I would tend to think, well, wow, maybe we are not so smart. Maybe we don't have all our wits about this racism thing because we have not outwitted racist man, yeah. racist woman, racist child. Can, and, can I ask you a question? I reckon. Okay. Uh, by, by nonsense, are, are, are you referring to the things I'm saying? What I'm, I'll say what I said again. Consistently, yeah. when racism, white supremacy is discussed, people take positions that are not supported by logic that would be a synonym for nonsense illogic things that are not supported by evidence it's not supported by fact it maybe even contradicts logic logic evidence i generally would try not to be pejorative as i said people can take whatever position that they want uh, and i try to be courteous to folks but i mean hey if it is not supported by logic and evidence i think i could look up the definition for nonsense that would qualify so what you're saying is that what I've been saying for the last two hours is nonsense. That is not what I said at all. Mm. But what I will okay. say the whole reason that I stopped mm. all that was she asked about who's more informed. And you said black people have to be more informed to out with the system. And I asked right. you, do you know any black people? And you said, now that right there, I would say, absolutely. That's nonsense. How could you say black people have to be more informed about racism to outwit it? You don't know any such person. I don't know any such person. Well, no such person. I'm alive. I'm alive, which means that to an extent, I've outwitted white racism to, to an extent because I'm still alive. Right? It may outwit me tomorrow. I don't know. You know, it, it's outwitted me in, in in ways I'm probably not even aware of. But you know, I, I think I've I think I've gotten a few victories in there. Anyway. Four four nine nine. Did you have your question ready for Mr. Thompson? Four four nine nine. Yes, I do. <clears throat> uh, have you ever had to stand up to a white person yourself? To stand up to a white person? Correct. Um, in what way? In the same capacity that your wife stood up to a white person for you. Have I ever had to stand up to a white? You you mean have I ever had to defend myself um, against a racist? Correct. Or 
No, the same way you say your wife has stood up for you. Mm-hmm. You have? Well, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Well, you're the one who says she stood up for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had to do it for yourself? I I like to think I have. I, I'm not sure what would would count uh, as well, that. Well, can you tell me to say it again? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't get your answer. No, I I, I said that I. I'm not sure what would count as standing up to a white person. Like, what 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 kind of kinds of examples would would count? Can you give me an example of how your wife stood up for you? I I would really prefer not to bring my wife into this anymore. To tell you the truth, my question you can avoid that one would okay. be if you ever had to stand up to a white person. Can you tell me the contrast of power between when your wife stood up to a white person and when you stood up to a white person. The contrast in power. Correct. I mean, I've stood, I've stood up for myself in the presence of white people. If, if that, if that counts, I don't know if, if, if that counts for you or not. Can you tell me the difference when you do it and when your wife does it? I, I don't think there is a difference. We're both standing up for me, right? That's your answer? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think we have one other person who dialed in. Folks were, I guess, well-informed. Uh, Imhan DC, did you have a question for Mr. Thompson? Um, yes, sir. Uh, greetings. Um, and uh, greetings, Mr. Thompson. Greetings. Uh, I had, yes, sir. Thank you. I have a few questions. Uh, okay. Yeah. Now, yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you said that, um, you said, I'm paraphrasing, but you said that the goal of white supremacy is to kill you. But that's not what you, that's not the words, the exact words you use, but that's the logic. The words that you, you use, I can't remember exactly, but you said that I believe that um, white people weren't successful or, or somehow you had a victory because white people haven't killed you yet. So is your <laughs> yeah, definition I, I, of white supremacy, is, yeah. is your definition of white supremacy kill black people? You you know you you you'd have to ask the the white supremacist the definition of white supremacy. I don't know. No, I'm, no, no. I, I was know. asking. I was asking you because you said well, well. Yeah. If you said that, if you if you're you wrote a whole book about white supremacy, and Not you're exactly. talking about white supremacy now, and and you gave a definition, Mr. Gus gave a definition. Um, so I mean, I'm, I mean, just being serious. You do you do have a definition of white supremacy, and, and I mean, if you don't want to talk about it, that's okay though. So your question is: uh, Is the goal of white supremacy to to kill to kill black people? Black people, yes. I that's probably the goal of some white supremacists. You know, um, I don't know if it's the goal of all white supremacists. Oh, but were you saying? I think you just like it had to been just like a few minutes ago. You were saying that white people were not successful because they haven't killed you. Is that what you were saying? 
I no. What I said was that um, that to some, you could say that to some extent, I've outwitted white supremacy up till now, and just in the fact that I'm still alive, right? Right. So then, the goal of white supremacy is to do what? If 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 you outwitted it by staying alive, then what's the goal of white supremacy? Well, I guess I guess the goal of some white supremacists is to kill me. Yes, that that would that would be their ultimate goal. To kill to kill you or kill black people in general? Yeah, because well, just to you know to. To to kill, remove whatever black people. Okay, well, I had a question about um, did white people did white people start war against black people? Did white people start war against black people? Yes, sir. Uh, well, what, what's your definition of a war? Hmm. Killing, mass killing. Uh, I'll use that definition. Mass killing another group. There, there's other definitions. I'll use that one. I am not aware of. Well, okay. Well, we'll define mass killing. You mean you mean like mowing down thousands of black people? Is that what you mean? Well, I can. Well, I mean. Oh, I, I can I can ask the question in another way, a series of questions, and it'll be okay. the same uh, one question. Okay, so um, when black excuse me, when white people came to America, did they commit genocide? Yes, <clears throat> yes. When they went to Australia, did they commit genocide? Sure. Yeah. When they went to Africa, did they commit genocide? Yes. South America, in the Caribbean islands, did they commit genocide? Yes. Okay, well that's um that would be that would be that would be an example or that would fit my de- description of a war. Would would that not fit your description of a war against black people? Or your de- or excuse me, that would fit my definition of a war against black people, mm-hmm. white people warring against black people. Mm-hmm. Uh would you agree that white people have started war against black people? I would I would say that white people have been guilty of, as as a as a group, have been guilty of, of of mass assaults against black people. Yes. Are, but they've committed. But, but did they start war against black people? What is the answer you want? A, a yes or a no? To if did they start war? Or did they not start war? There was never a war against black people. Or there was actually a war against black people. A yes or a no? I I don't want to answer that question because I because that the answer will mean different things for different people. So I, I'd rather I'd rather just not answer it. Okay. I, I'm I'm not going to ask any further questions. Um, you you refuse to answer my questions, so that is what it is. Thank you. Much obliged. Uh, before. We allow you to enjoy the rest of your Monday evening. Uh, you, in what it is, Mr. Thompson, you cite Joan Didion uh, as being yeah. kind of an influence for the title in a way and, and this whole project for kind of just accepting things as they are, evaluating it in a truthful manner. I certainly am a big advocate of uh, embracing truth. I did not know who this writer was, so I did what any uh, 21st century lad does uh do my little search 
And one of the first things that pops up with her name is a white author, a suspected racist white woman, is she is credited as being one of the first mainstream journalists, if not the first, to discredit or express suspicion about the narrative surrounding the Central Park Five case, uh, late 1980s in New York. Uh, She wrote about this case uh, extensively. There's a report uh, sentimental journeys uh, where she talks kind of a lot of the things that were happening at the time of this case. Uh, she mentions uh, our now president uh, who is absolutely uh, connected with that case uh, and has been since inception uh, and Al Sharpton. It's uh, it is an interesting read, but it's not really or at least the, the juicier tidbits, uh, if you have time to read it, are not really referenced directly in in your text. Uh, was there a reason that you didn't get to some of the the more aspects that deal with racism, white supremacy from this piece and even connecting it because it's connected right with the election. Donald Trump is right there. And this even came up with them getting their settlement millions of dollars and now President Trump doubling down and saying this is an outrage. Why are they being paid anything? Totally disgraceful that New York City would, you know, pay off these hoodlums. Right. Well, I, I think I did mention Didion in connection with uh, the Central Park, the so-called Central Park Five, because I said that she was one of the few people to to doubt uh, the narrative that was put in place in the late '80s when when uh, when the five were convicted. Um, so that I was citing that as an example of the way that she does not accept, does not just accept received wisdom, and 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 she she wants to see for herself what is happening, and that. Um, and and in that way, she served as an inspiration for me. She uh, talks about Al Sharpton not being classified as a good Negro, which I thought was fascinating since you have the Washington Post piece talking about uh, encouraging white people to not use the term Uncle Tom, uh, which all of that going back to who's confused about racism. If white people were really confused about racism, you certainly would not have a white person talking about Al Sharpton not being an acceptable good Negro. You certainly would not have a white person saying, oh, my goodness, why is Morgan Freeman playing all these roles as an Uncle Tom? That does not sound like a white person who is ignorant about race. Or I'll ask, can a white person be ignorant about racism while using terms like good Negro or Uncle Tom? Yes, yes, I think I think I think a white person can be ignorant about racism while using those terms. How would they be? How would that be a demonstration of ignorance about racism, white supremacy, while they're using those terms? And a white. Let's take the example that you wrote about a white woman saying that Morgan Freeman is taking on a lot of Uncle Tom roles. How would that be a demonstration mm-hmm. that she is ignorant about white supremacy, racism? Well, I didn't say that, that that's a demonstration that she's ignorant. I just said that uh, you can you can be ignorant and still use those terms. So using those terms by themselves doesn't make you ignorant but you can still be ignorant and use those terms. Okay. Well, let me go back with my question. Make sure I'm being specific. Uh, A white person using those terms, could they do that while being ignorant about white supremacy, racism, not just ignorant in general, ignorant about white supremacy, racism while using terms like good Negro or uncle Tom. I would say so. Yes. Okay. So how would a white person be ignorant about racism, white supremacy while still using terms Uncle Tom, good Negro. We can take the white woman that you you wrote about with Uncle Tom. How would she be ignorant about racism, white supremacy? I mean, I I think it's possible to call someone an Uncle Tom 
without with a, while while still not understanding uh, fundamental aspects of uh, of of racism or or race um, you know you you could just see um an actor portraying someone who you characterize as uh, as as an uncle tom and you would use that term it doesn't mean that you are um particularly knowledgeable about about racism in America. Hmm. Okay. Uh that thank you for the for answering the question. Generally I would think if someone is ignorant uh about racism, I would generally think if someone said, Wow, that President Trump is the biggest Uncle Tom I've ever seen. If someone made a statement like that, I would think, hmm this person seems like they're a little bit confused. Maybe they don't really know what they're taught. Maybe they just heard that term or maybe that that's what I would think. Okay. Yeah. This person is confused. Not someone saying a white person saying that they think Morgan Freeman has really picked it up, taking on these uncle Tom roles. That does not strike me as a white person who is uh, in need of remedial courses, a racism one Oh one refresher. Sounds like they, they got the, and even from a historical perspective, perhaps, but anywho. Uh, the book we are or chatted about this here evening, what it is, Mr. Clifford Thompson, Thinking Black Man. It has been uh, a hoot. I'm glad you uh, stuck in with us, allowed us to uh, ask some questions. Uh, I will say before you go, I guess it is a pattern I have noted. We've had a number of individuals, uh, white people who are married to or in sexual arrangements with non-white people and the reverse non-white people who are married to sexual arrangements with white people. And it's like Mayor de Blasio in New York. He will take all those photos with his so-called biracial family and get all that social cachet. I support diversity, not the same regime in New York. That day is done. It's moving forward. No more style. My family. I know what it's like. I know the plight of the black male. Look at my son with his Afro. He will get cred for that. And then if someone comes out and says something about this, well, wait a minute, my family is off minutes. It's like, well, wait a minute. You just had them out in a political, you got commercials and everything. Like when it's to your benefit, you will mention them, but then there can't be any interrogation or scrutiny about this. You do mention your white wife, Amy Peck by name in the book and then cite mm -hmm. a number of examples of her in the book. I do think that that is reasonable to ask questions about her, especially as she's going to be cited by name and then specific references of her interactions. And, and even a time where you get the stank eye from a black female because of this arrangement. Like I definitely think that it's valid to ask some questions and especially in a system of white supremacy, racism. I always think it's valid to question any individual classified as white. Did you want to respond to that one? Not particularly. Bravo. Much obliged, Mr. Thompson. And thank you for getting the book. UPS tried to uh, finagle me out of the text. So I wouldn't have been able to prepare for our broadcast today. And he was able to assist with that. Much obliged. Thank you for your time. We will keep an eye out for future offerings. Uh, Clifford Thompson. Thank you, sir. Be well. Context of white supremacy. Man, oh man, I will tell you guys, the cows, we are about having white people on the program. I totally forgot. Man, rethinking Rufus. Thomas A. Foster coming to the program Sunday. I am so excited. I just said there are very few times, very few books that I've been excited for uh, this year. Very little excitement. Period. Thomas A. Foster rethinking Rufus sexual violence against enslaved black males 
Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Woo! I am looking forward. Emailing Dr. Curry to see if we can get questions uh, to ask for the program. That's it. <clears throat> I was excited for the program today. I was excited, even though I was disappointed. I was looking forward to this book because I thought it was going to be all these wonderful interviews with white people, white men about racism and Trump. That's not what the book is at all. That's only a third of the book. I already talked about that. The rest of it, you know, was talking about other things. Uh, But I was excited uh, to have him on the program uh, just to be able to review uh, some of the things that he did talk about in the book. And because we have had uh, individuals before who have talked about it's difficult talking to victims of racism and how do you do it without causing conflict? How do you talk to non-white people who are in tragic arrangements and that sort of thing? Uh, we have talked to a lot of victims. I generally am not excited about that sort of thing at this point. Like you can go in the archives and hear a lot of illustrations. Dr. Eddie Moore Jr. Lots of victims of racism that we've talked to who are in tragic arrangements, male and female, black and non-white, non-black, uh, the offspring of these arrangements, all of that. Lots and lots of hours uh, of that in terms of how you can talk to them without causing uh, conflict and all the rest. I did think it was important, though. Mr. Thompson, victim of white supremacy, VGQ, victims guaranteed qualified. But he is married to a white woman. He has this published book. He's published many books about racism. He has articles published in the Washington Post uh, about racism, white supremacy. White people will promote a work like this and say that this is an expert on racism. Black people in general are experts on racism. Mr. Thompson is one. Do you even have a definition of racism? Just basics. The only non-racist black, like I said, that's on page seven. How is it that a book on racism, white supremacy and Donald Trump being elected in 2016? How is that right at the beginning of the book? Is it time to resign my post as the only non-racist black person in America? And that's a joke. And like I said, I have no problem going back to read the final uh, segment in the, the final page in the book. for emphasis because it just the entire book to me does not read even like what they advertised on NPR to me most of the book is I'm not prejudiced against white people I said that need to be I told him that that word needs to be inserted it's not that I'm 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 not prejudiced or or am about viewing people individually it is I am about not being prejudiced against white people I do not think of all white people as racist I see white people as individuals, not as a part of a collective that could be indicted for abusing black people. That is one of the main sentiments of the book. Uh, Lots of lines talking about uh, his white wife, biracial child. I just said that you can't use them as a prop and then come back and say, well, I'm not going to talk or answer any questions about them, even though like she's mentioned by name in the text, Amy Peck. Uh, and then to have the obligatory anecdote about a black person uh, with the, uh, giving you the stank eye, uh, one of these feverish black males got your wife <laughs> uh, to have that there. And then the last uh, the ending of the book, I'm just going to make sure I get that last page in. If anybody thinks that I have misread that I'm mischaracterizing Mr. Thompson's work, you can email Please dial in right now and share. I'm going to read the whole page as it is. As I stood amid the smell of smoke and the plink of gold colored shell casings, Wellsing moment, hitting the floor, a kind of window opened in my mind, a peek into another life. What if I were a different sort of person? 
who had traveled a different path? What if I were a black man whose upbringing had been rougher, who was harder, who had been shown less compassion, who had been encouraged not to think quite so much, but to do? What if seeing the wrong done to dark skinned people, I didn't worry about the why, but only the what I might embrace simple logic, simple feeling. I might have no trouble deciding who the enemy was. I might find others like me, others who thought saw things happening in their country they didn't think could happen anymore. Others who thought one bad turn deserved another. Others who finally began to wonder like me why we were killing each other when the real enemy was elsewhere. Guns would be a regular part of my life. This rougher, simpler life, not just in the shooting range, but in my home, on my night table, a dark weapon with its satisfying weight tucked into my baggy jean shorts, making a small bulge under my loose-fitting t-shirt as I walk the streets, maybe your street, alert to signs of disrespect. And as I peeked into that life, I realized how easy it had become here in the safe and controlled environment of the gun range, how very, very easy it had become to pull the trigger. This is the final page of the book. My reading of this I could be in error again it's so vague why is this the depiction of how another life might be if he had a rougher harder life he would have ill-fitting clothing and a gun bulge under his loose-fitting t-shirt not even like a responsible gun owner like you don't have a holster and you're uh, that's what I said it's not like he said yeah I have my holster and I'm about counterviolence, or I think I'm in danger. I'm Philando Castile. You know, I'm thinking I might be in danger. I'm going to have to have my certification. I got my uh, concealed carry uh, permit. I got my holster. I go to practice. It's not that, or it's not counterviolence. They shot down Fred Hampton, 50 year anniversary. Counterviolence. Some of these racists are out of here. Killer of Eric Garner is out of here. Killer of Sandra Bland is out. It's not that. It's just some hoodlum, the stereotypical black male thug walking the streets armed thank god for the uh <clears throat> amber geigers uh of the world to put down these sort of uh menaces but this is the final uh the final page uh of the book uh most of the black people that i know this is not their reality this is not their life at all in any way shape or form this is the common stereotypical anti-black presentation of black maleness in a system of racism white supremacy uh there are a lot of things the name calling that was pointed out victim elite i didn't see any name calling of whites in the book and the only examples of victim elite in the book were black people the last thing uh or i guess two things it would be, uh, I think people have talked before, some of our listeners have pointed out, it could be helpful to have humility at all times for all victims of white supremacy. Something I work on, we should all be working on having humility, patience, especially when talking to other victims of racism, especially if they're confused victims of racism. Uh, but I also observe Mr. Thompson, VGQ. He said he was surprised by the 2016 election. He said in his book, and he wrote that that event made him reevaluate things. Now he may have been being truthful. He may have that that just may have been part of the, the shtick to sell books. If I really didn't understand and I had to, wow, 
I, I got to rethink things. I can't believe this happened. I would hope that I would be receptive to information, different perspectives, as opposed to sounding very much like the same, just clinging to the white people are good and the same narrative and just trying to make sense of it as best you can. I would hope there would be some sort of acknowledgement. Again, my observation, uh, frequently the system of white supremacy, non-white people are encouraged to think that we are experts on white supremacy racism. We're given lots of poor logic, bad information, not encouraged to be logical and honest about this problem. So we end up just with, you know, nonsense word that I used on the broadcast nonsense. Uh, the other component, he mentions Joan Didion in the text. Central Park Five. He doesn't go into a whole lot of detail about the report that she wrote on the Central Park Five. I'm going to pull out one tidbit referencing Al Sharpton. Joan Didion writes, uh, she's talking about Al, Harpton, Al, Al Sharpton. He was going, this is in the late 80s, early 90s. He's going to protest about Yusuf Hawkins, black male killed in New York. And so she quotes Al Sharpton. She says, the fact that I, he says, the fact that I was so controversial to Benson Hearst helped them forget that the cameras were there, he said. So I decided to help them. I would throw kisses to them and they would go nuts. Question began a joke told in the aftermath of the first Central Park Five jogger trial. You're in a room with Hitler, Saddam Hussein and Al Sharpton. You have only two bullets. Who do you shoot? Answer. Al Sharpton twice I love a racist joke that was a hidden gem for Gus T to read this book uh, what it is and then just to take the extra time to read Joan Didion's uh, sentimental journey to get that racist joke what do I tell people consistently this is where white people are being honest what is one of the major patterns I've said for 10 years about racist jokes violence against black people is funny this is to have a joke like this. Does that sound like someone who's ignorant about racism? Let me give it again. You're in a hotel room. <clears throat> You're in a room with Hitler, Saddam Hussein, and Al Sharpton. You have only two bullets. Who do you shoot? Answer. Al Sharpton. Twice. You got that idiot who says regularly on the program that black people are killed for just talking about racism. I don't know Al Sharpton to be a baggy jean shirt, jean short wearing baggy shirt with a gun bulge under his T-shirt. I have never seen that version of Al Sharpton. I don't think Al Sharpton has killed anybody. But the joke is that if you only got two bullets, Hitler, Saddam Hussein, and Reverend Al, Al is getting both of them. <clears throat> that is a racist man, racist child, racist woman. And Al Sharpton got stabbed in the chest at this time. That's, I think, is so important for context. He had just been stabbed. Uh, 1991 I think it was the same year it was the same year that this article came out he got stabbed in the chest and almost died in New York I always reference that when in, that's why I, said, I don't want to hear anybody anybody I don't care if it's a black person uh, whomever talk about Al Sharpton like I don't care if you disagree with everything he says like so what victim of white supremacy he is not the victim elite move forward and solve the problem but he got stabbed and they were talking about that on NPR after it happened they were talking to two white women 
who was sitting outside and she said, oh, I hate Al Sharpton. I don't ever want to talk about Al Sharpton. And the guy said, uh, well, Al Sharpton, you know, he got stabs right over here. And she said, good. I wish he got killed. And the announcer, oh, my God. <laughs> like, this is on NPR. This is live. They got in the, I played it uh, on the compensatory call-in some years back. But that joking like that is a part of how Al Sharpton did get stabbed and could have easily died all the time. When you have that sort of environment, the system of white supremacy, that's white culture. Joking about violence against black people is fun. That's what we joke about on a regular basis. That is exactly how Dylan Storm. What's the little uh, white girl down in Georgia, 16 years old, who was plotting to do the same thing just a couple days back. That's not ignorance. System of racism, white supremacy. Anywho, uh, I did not enjoy reading the book because it is not coherent. I'll make sure I get that in because the system of white supremacy does this on a regular basis. Books like this will be promoted. He's out on his book tour. He was out here at Elliott Bay in Seattle. Uh, He was on NPR to have major publications promoting his book. And it's not coherent at all. Like not in the nothing about this book will get you any closer to an accurate understanding of racism white supremacy if you already understand white supremacy racism and want to study tragic arrangements then maybe you can get some constructive value but i mean wow white people regularly that is a part of the apparently that is a very important part of the business model promoting non-white authors and white authors who write books that are not accurate logical about racism white supremacy at all this is one i could be in error and extremely 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 anti-black i could be wrong but i do not think so i just the last i read the last page and page seven i am the only non-racist black in america you all can take that as a hee-hee joke or no uh the folks who dialed in did y'all have any comments questions thoughts Greetings, Ivy. Greetings, Gus. Um, to answer Thomas in New York's question, do whites have the same policies about black people in terms of uh, at their churches where, you know, they pretty much let anyone in, you know, who I guess wants to come to church? The answer to that is yes. Um, I went to... uh, white churches for several years in my life. And, um, yeah, that's just kind of how churches are. I have an extensive background with church, um, as most people do, of all, of all groups, um, I think. Um, and that's just the general consensus. You just kind of think, you know, people come in there, they want to visit, they want to come to God or something like that. So they don't, you know, the most people, they're not standing at the door with guns thinking we shouldn't gun everybody down. But um I think uh another way in terms of, you know, that situation where, you know, what if I had been rougher and, and this, that and the other, I think another way also to think about that, because I, I thought your observations were brilliant as usual, I think another way to think about that is that anyone interested in, in counter violence has to be a rough person. They can't just be you know what I mean, Mark Essex, or, you know, something like that. Am I saying his name right, Gus? So, 
Yeah, um, you know, somebody who was in the military and this, that, and the other. Not that there's anything special about them, but I'm saying, you know, I guess the way that they're perceived. They can't be, you know, those type of people. A uh, thinking black man, if you would. Um, I had a quick question. How do I get my hands on Azura's book? Because as I said, I thought that, you know, she was awesome and her, her understanding of, of, of racism I was uh, very impressed with and learned a whole lot from. And I, I doubt very seriously that the book is any different. And even listening to your commentary on it, it just seems like, you know, more of the same. So I really, really, really want to read the book. And I looked all over and I couldn't find it. So, you know, do you know how I can get it, Gus? I'll meet my line. Uh, well, I believe it's on Amazon, although I believe she had encouraged folks to try to, oh, maybe it's not on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Take that back. Scratch that. Scratch that. Scratch that. Uh, yes, I do not see it on Amazon. They, I know they have it at a lot of local bookstores here. I thought she had said that it was on Amazon, but it doesn't appear to be. Let me see if you. I did not want to be in the business of having to like promote white-owned Seattle bookstores. Like, yikes! Uh, Woo, that is not cool. Amazon was the first place. I, I'm sorry, I was just saying Amazon was the first place I looked. Uh, yeah, like I can. I mean, at the one that I went to, that's already there. Elliot Bay Books. I know they sell it. If you go to their website, uh, Elliot Bay Books, they have it. Um, there are other Seattle bookstores uh, that have it. But I know she, her preference was he. Keep doing that. Azor suggested, recommended that folks try to get it. Uh, the text from a independent seller, uh, Elliot Bay Book, would qualify. Um, yeah, because I don't see it at Amazon, so that'll work. There are other spots online. Folks can check it out if you want to copy. You failed us. Students of color talk Seattle schools. Uh, so I can get it from Elliott Bay Books online. I don't have to be in Seattle. Correct. They have it. Uh, I, I was just looking at the page here. Uh, you can add it to your shopping cart daily. It works just like uh, Amazon or any of the rest. And yeah, I believe you can pay for it online and they'll mail it to you. Let me make sure I'm not being deceptive here. Yep. They will. Do, yeah. It's 2000. It's 2020, man. It's 2020. Yeah. You can just, just like Amazon, you can put your address in and they'll mail you a copy. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Other folks, questions. Hello? Yes. Uh, I think that's Irie. Yes. Yes, I'm here. Um, uh, I just wanted to comment that um, he came across um, arrogant. Um, I think of the words petite bourgeois, uh, the buffer class of Creole people in New Orleans. Um, they had a little more leeway than the, you know, heavily melanated uh, and heavily enslaved uh, black people throughout the city in Louisiana and, and you know, uh, North America at the time. And because of that, it, it went to their head. And they really believe that they are different than the rest of the black people. Um, they really do feel that they are smarter, more hardworking, more deserving, um, and go out of their way to prove 
their um, their their police um, to white people, and I think that um, I don't think he likes black people. I, I I really do think he does not like black people at all, and I also think he has a dislike for himself because he doesn't have a knowledge of self because you know, of whatever, but he doesn't understand that he's a victim. The fact that he said that, you know, every day, he said something about every day is a different fight. Well, sir, if if there was no system of racism, white supremacy, and you're not a victim or a victim royale or whatever he called it, you know, victim elite, then, I mean, for crying out loud, loud, why is every day a fight then? And if black people know so much about, racism, white supremacy, I, I should have asked this, you know, why Why is this a problem solved? Why are you on the phone talking about this uh, as not as a historical point in time, but as something uh, in the continuum, you know, and I, I, feel, I feel sorry for him. I have sorrow for him because if something does happen, I hope it doesn't. But, you know, people like that, you know, is either one or two things is going to happen. He's going to be victimized and then come to this reality after he's written this book for the entertainment of white people. Or he's going to remain uh, confused and, and maybe even, you know, embark in that confusion and, and, and invest in that confusion even more. Um, it was amazing to listen to. Thank you, Gus, and thank you, everybody. Much obliged, much obliged. Always try to learn the superior. I, th- I don't know if I got to read that uh, passage from the text or not. I had it marked here. If I didn't, I'll make sure to read it now. Yes, I'll make sure to read it now. Here we go. He, so this is. Mm-mm-mm. He talked about going to school with a lot of whites. He grew up in Washington, D.C. Forgot to ask him if he knew of Dr. Welsing. He writes, uh, this rootedness in opposition to prejudice gave me something of a sense of superiority. I hung out with white kids. I met in a dorm I had chosen randomly, and I even had the temerity, mainly because it didn't occur to me to consider it that, to date one of them, Cowbell. When I emerged from my bubble long enough to register that other black students disapproved of all this, their attitudes bothered me but did not pierce me to the core because I felt superior to such attitudes, believing that prejudice, all prejudice, was small-minded and simply wrong. And I could not imagine ever feeling differently. That's what I mean. Those types of anecdotes are rife throughout the text. And that would be, in in my view, another anti-black anecdote. I felt superior to the black people who scorned me for having white friends. Any other folks have comments, questions they want to get in? Can I be heard? Retired firefighter. Yes. Uh, just by the idea of him uh, inserting the word prejudice uh, to a uh, point of detriment in itself and his thinking uh, uh, it's, uh, in itself, it would confuse uh, the person who speaks it as well as potentially to the people that are listening uh, to what he is saying. And we all should thrive, strive for accuracy in our understanding of things 
apparently he did not have a structural definition to the word racism, white supremacy. Uh, it was almost nauseating with the idea of mind of shielding this white woman that he is sexually connected with and legally committed to. Uh, she doesn't, first of all, she doesn't need him for that at all. Uh, she's not five years old. Uh, she is a white woman. She can speak for herself. Uh, and, uh, uh, he can, uh, well, it, I, I would say that you probably wouldn't, wouldn't have disagreed if she volunteered to come on the program herself. Uh, but, uh, the whole idea of thinking that, uh, he must shield her by not speaking on questions, not about their sex, how they like sex and whatnot, that sort of thing, but speaking on racism, white supremacy, which is actually with what, uh, he was brought on the program about. And, as, and I didn't, I didn't know until you stated it that she's actually in, in the book. So, it sounds awful hypocritical. Uh, also, I'm not I'm not name calling. It's just an analysis uh, of uh, my thoughts when a person is doing one thing and but yet when questioned saying something different. Uh, with some of my thoughts, uh, and uh, I also liked uh, the uh, questioning the questions. Uh, that Imha DC uh, submitted to him uh, on the uh, understanding of war, uh, as far as that concerned, and his logic that he used in the conversation that he had with the uh, the guests. And yes, I, I would say, last but not least, he is a victim of racism, white supremacy, just like I am. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter. Uh, any other folks? Have you heard? Thomas in New York. Yes, I got some. Very interesting call. He came off to me like one of those, because um, he said he grew up in a black neighborhood or grew up around black people. And one of those people that um, he was probably made fun of or something, and he had a resentment for black people as a result of that, because white people, of course, you know, around white people, he's token, you know, so he's cool with them, you know, but, um, you know, that's, you know, pretty much what I took from him. Um, someone said he was arrogant very much. So, um, I think that, um, you know, he was, he, he was going to defend his position, his relationship at all, at all costs. So that, that's pretty much standard. From all other guests you've had, who has a, a white spouse, they they tend well a white parent. Um, they tend to have that same, um, you know, it was like I, I've been down the street before type of um, attitude. Kind of expected it, but um, he was very arrogant with his. Um, he wasn't going to say much. Uh, I love the question by the gentleman who came in. Um, I asked her, asked him about um, if his wife ever defended him. He came in with a follow-up question to that. Um, that was great. He did not want to discuss how his wife defended him. And I just didn't, I, from the way he answered the, the gentleman's question, 
um, just in the way he was fumbling around at the beginning, it, it gave me the impression that uh, if a white person was ever to make him feel uncomfortable, he would expect his wife to defend him. He would not try to defend himself. Um, you know, and I didn't like the, I mean, I thought it was cute, but I don't understand why he had to use the sarcastic, I'll hack them, and I didn't think the question was unreasonable. And I'll meet my line. Thank you. Yeah, I did too, when you asked him about how he responded to racism uh, from a white person. Um, like, yeah, that that sort of thing stands out as well, because he said, oh, he was just joking, you know, a little bit of exaggeration when he said he's the only non-racist black person uh, in America, that sort of thing. We're talking about something that's serious. Um, yeah, that that stick that sticks out as significant. His his response to that, with all the sarcasm about chopping their head off, that stood out as significant. Uh, any other folks? Um, do you think that by him calling himself the most um, non-racist black man in America, it's um, pretty much the equivalent of saying the most willing to accept? Uh, white punishment in America? Uh, that could be uh, one way of interpreting it. I mean, my focus uh, really was more so on, uh, I mean, what an indict, what a collective uh, indictment, prejudice, if you will, uh, of all of the other individuals, uh, all of the other black people to say that, you know, they're all racist whatever that means in a system of white supremacy no less uh where i can't even think of one individual white person that he classifies as racist in the book much less like a collective um i don't even think he talks about bob as being racist the one who called will chamberlain a nigger so yeah i mean that that could be certainly one way of uh interpreting it not here Henry in Chicago. Yes, sir. All right. Um, I guess if, uh, if I was to just take, I didn't read the book, uh, but listening to him talk about it, listening to you, Gus, uh, uh, excerpts on the book, um, you know, just, uh, using the metaphor, taking it at face value. I don't think he really wanted to talk about racism in the book. I mean, he just happened to, you know, mention it, uh, and, you know, the purpose of the book, as he mentioned before, was due to the election of Donald Trump, which, you know, uh, many, uh, many people like to minimize white supremacy to just Donald Trump and the Republicans. And, you know, and I asked him the question about if he would have wrote this book, if Hillary Clinton would have won. And, you know, even even confused non-white people know that, you know, most confused by white people know that Hillary Clinton is as much as a racist, even more of a racist than, than Donald Trump is. But uh, yeah, I just I just didn't think that he was interesting in writing about racism. He just you know just happened to you know mention it. So uh, yeah, I just you know I just take it as as you know what it is. I just think that he just he just didn't want to talk about it. So uh, that's all I have. Many victims of white supremacy avoid honest conversation on racism. I would say, especially if you are in a tragic arrangement, that you know tends to be a um, a significant hallmark. Uh, having to minimize talking about racism, white supremacy, or, or certainly compromise the way it is talked about. Prejudice—that would be one right there. 
we don't want to talk about racism. We can just talk about prejudice and how prejudiced black people are. And his consistent chuckling also was a sign of his uh, uncomfortableness in the uh, interview. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. I will have to say, I generally, you know, strive not to say that people are talking nonsense, although maybe that shouldn't be the case because many times in racism, white supremacy, people are talking nonsense uh, and the things that they're saying are not logical. Uh, they are not based on evidence. Uh, sometimes it's contradictory to evidence. And that was one point right there to have some of this. And I mean, sometimes it's just like, there's not really a point in having conversation about racism. If he had not written a book, this wasn't a program. The conversation probably would have stopped at the point where it's, whoa, this person does not have a definition of racism. And it seems to be saying that other non-white people are racist. Hmm. I'm not going to have a whole lot to say. And if it seems like there, there might be some arrogance where there's not receptivity to learning and I might be wrong, share your view. I'll listen, that sort of thing. Like, Oh, it probably wouldn't be a whole lot to, uh, to say about anything. We would just be listening. Confusion is lethal. Just at a certain point of an interview, I think that um, maybe his white spouse might have come in his proximity. Um, seemed like his answers started to get shorter. He could have just been frustrated. Um, but it just seemed like he was um, more codified in not saying too much, um, not doing too much thinking, being very, um, you know, cautious about what he's saying. And I, you know, noticed that a lot of black people do not feel comfortable um, talking about racism the same when a white person's around, you know. So I, I just felt like it was a shift in his demeanor. Good observation. She could have been present. That, that I have seen uh, we talked about that I think Pam has talked about that and the same thing uh, avoiding racism uh, where if you have a white partner and they come around might not be able to talk about all this racism stuff I think uh, one of our listeners talked about she has a white parent and a non-white parent and she said the Michael verdict Michael Brown Jr. decision came on that they weren't going to indict the officer and her non-white parent was watching then a white parent came in and interrupted that and wanted to kiss and do all this other stuff to disrupt being able to focus on racism uh, in a serious manner. And we've heard that from other folks as well, where racism just can't be talked about directly. The white person comes around and all that. Hush it up. Pam even said that about some of her relatives, same pattern. So that absolutely could have happened. And it also, or it could be both. It could have been that in, in conjunction with him getting frustrated with the uh, questions and, uh, being accused of anti-blackness, he seemed to be especially uh, disgruntled uh, about that charge. Anything else folks needed to get in? Gus, what did you, um, you said that um, his wife got mad at him about something. It was in the, um, it was in the book, and it, you were making the point that it was a contradiction of something. I, I, I missed that. Do you remember? He said that his wife responds with compassion uh, about racism, that she supports him. He doesn't have any of those examples in the book, but he does have an example in the book uh, when the shooting happened in Belgium or the terrorist attack in Belgium uh, not too long back. And he said that someone on social media made a post about Belgium's involvement in the Congo and slaughtering black people. And he shared the post and it upset a lot of his white social media friends, I guess. Some of them unfollowed him and got mad and that sort of thing. His wife was one of them uh, that he said in the book specifically that she got angry uh, with him about uh 
you know, him sharing this post about Belgium's uh, whites in Belgium, their racist activities in the Congo. Uh, But I brought that up as just an example of because he had just said to a caller about his wife being compassionate and supportive uh, when he's faced racism. That was an example that contradicted such. And he didn't have any examples of her being supportive and such in the book. Okay, thank you. Can I be heard? I think that's a very important point. Uh, I heard you, Imhan DC. I have you as well. Is that that's all you need, or did you have anything else, Henry? In Chicago, that's a very important point. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm, my apologies. Yeah, go ahead. I, that, that, that's all I want to say. No apology needed, uh, Imhan DC. Yes, sir. Um, I wanted to uh, say real quickly about the um, the church situation. Um, so, I. I used to work for a very big white church, uh, the biggest white church in this area, and they had police officers with guns in the church and the security people had guns tucked under their shirts and stuff. And, excuse me, I also listened to a lot of um, white people who are, you know, the authority on guns or whatever, gun use or whatever, and they do a lot of um, conferences with white churches about having their um, deacons carry guns and their secretary, I mean, how you call them, but um, the people um, who, who stand by the door, they, they're supposed to carry guns. And the last thing uh, I wanted to, hang on, I'm losing what I was thinking. Um, I'll, I'll stop. Okay. Thank you. Much obliged. Uh, M Hun DC. Uh, I, Like I said, this was not an enjoyable book for me to read. Uh, He did say he grew up in Washington, D.C., a totally black neighborhood. Uh, So he grew up around black people. Not uncommon. Uh, But yeah, he does. I was going to. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. I just I can't remember. I'm just trying to recall what he said when I asked him if he about like the ethno state thing. Cause I forgot to say, you know, cause your wife is white, you know, I know you'd want to be with her, but what did he say he would try to do? He would fight to stop that from happening. The ethno state from coming. Oh, to okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I was oh, going- Mr. Gus, I know what I was going to say. If mm-hmm. I have time. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so when you write a book, doesn't that make you? Does that make you the authority on that topic, uh, or is it assumed that you're the authority? Uh, it certainly would depend on what you mean, and you know, certainly uh, not everyone will come to that conclusion just because you've written a book. Some people, you know, read books and think that they aren't very good. <laughs> Yours truly included. So. Uh, but I mean, Hey, having your name on a book is having your name on a book. Uh, that means you're going to be in libraries and catalogs and, you know, you can, uh, get those book tours, which he's on now book tours and be invited to do interviews like on this program. So, uh, you can be, uh, thought of as an expert quote unquote, that can be one of the things that marks you as an expert. Uh, I would say often uh, when it comes to racism, white supremacy, it'll depend on who white people say is an expert, uh, which might come down to uh, if you have white friends, uh, what's your definition of racism? If you have one at all, uh, are you going to be saying that all white people are racist? Like those type of things might impact your credentials. Like you might be an expert 
you might be a radical depending on the answers to those questions. Uh, a lot of times white people get to decide who the quote unquote authorities are, or really that's what the system of white supremacy says. They do decide who the authorities are. So anywho, uh, we did our three hours much obliged for the folks who tuned in. Hope it was worthy of your Monday evening, man, Mr. Thompson. Don't think he was pleased with his cows experience. Uh, that's, and that was why for folks who listened in, that was why I made sure to put that context in from the beginning. I already knew that if he was surprised by the Trump election, we've been sitting here saying four more years <laughs> for three years, <laughs> four more years and thought this was going to happen. Wide gulf. Confusion is lethal uh, and still learning myself. Rethinking Rufus. Thomas A. Foster was Sunday. Rethinking Rufus. The sex or make sure I give the full title. I'm so uh, excited. Rethinking sexual violation of enslaved males. Thomas A. Foster Sunday on the cows. So excited. Until then, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Certainly not drinking with your white friends. In addition to being sober, let's be buckled up. Every time we are in a vehicle, passenger or driver, let us do the little things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers. In addition to being sober and buckled, we're not on the phone if you're driving ever Again, just trying to minimize having to be in touch with the Amber Geigers of the known universe. With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times. In all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. <laughs> I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.